Mic check. One, two, one, two. How do I sound? Like pokey. Oh, there you go. I was just trying to get you to talk. You came in low the first time, but it's all set now. That's because I was really far away from the mic. Yeah, that makes a difference, I'm told. I was facing the other way on my desk. That makes it hard to type, doesn't it? I wasn't typing, so <laughs> I mean, yes, it does. I've got like an L desk, and I was on the other side of the L. Got it. I'm uh, building one of them uh, plastic Gundam models. That tracks. Yeah, it's it's pretty much on brand. You random episode seventy eight for December first, twenty twenty two. So more dungeons and more dragons. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of you random and i do stand by that this time it is going to be fantastic whether we want it to be or not uh as usual i'm joined by my good friend pokey good evening everyone sorry we're late my good friend taj we're late but nobody knows that yet only because we're so late we haven't told them exactly yes yes we have Soundwave, and welcoming back a uh, longtime friend of the show lost in bronx Hello, how is everybody doing? They can't tell us that, Boston Bronx. They can if they write back. That's true. And in fact, uh, Biku did just that. Yes, he did. Pokey, was that like an actual good segue this early in the evening? Not on purpose, but since I was set up for it, it it was like hitting the T-ball. Serendipity, serendipity. And you already promised it was going to be fantastic. So, I mean, we have to try a little. I mean, that's more than usual, so yeah. I told you guys, when the muse strikes, I can do good work. And Lost in Bronx very often is my muse. Oh, that's so very kind. It's, it's, am I a muse in the sense of, like, you're a renaissance artist and I'm your lovely little thing that uh, I ha- you keep me around just to keep you amused? Jeez, I hope so. I know we haven't gone there yet, but I'll try anything twice. <laughs> So how I guess about this, that I guess this means that, Yeah, I guess that means I should go open my email and remind myself what he said. Well, I think I think without bearing the lead, we we were worried because we hadn't heard from him in a while, and we've heard from him again. So he, he is safe. Everything is good. Not everything is good. I need you guys to help me convince him to take one of these um, uh, uh, Sans Eclipse. That I also need to send at least one to Lost in Bronx. Did you like buy a a pallet of them from the back of some truck somewhere, Pokey? No, no, far worse than that. Ken Fallon sent me a pallet of them from some truck somewhere, and I, I am responsible for distributing them, and one of those needs to go to Biku. That was Ken Fallon's decree. It's not my choice, Biku, so you don't have a choice either. It has to go to you. The Ken has spoken. I love that this thing has gone from the Netherlands to the U.S. and will wind up in India. Like, that's crazy. Well, Ken thought he was in the U.S., or at least closer to the U.S. than he is to the Netherlands, which I guess technically he is. Is he, though? Well, closer to the U.S. He might not be closer to me than Ken, but definitely closer to the U.S. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I think, I think. you are the I think you are the best kind of correct. Ha <laughs> ha! I would need a, a globe and a string to tell you for sure, because I don't know how else we could measure that accurately. Well, we all trust you implicitly, so I think that's more than accurate enough for me. Call it good, then. Um, uh, I mean, he, yeah, he gave me some lovely compliments about my new tattoo and our new kitten and Pokey's awesome paintwork on the 3D printed spider, um, a link that probably isn't going to be useful for very much longer, 
because it's a way to browse Twitter without the uh, filters. Yeah, that's not going to age well. I think Twitter's about to become the way to browse Twitter without the filters. I mean, I think Twitter is about to age like milk. It hasn't already? Yeah, seriously. I was over Twitter in like 2011. That's impressive because didn't it start in like 2007? So you gave it a couple of years. No, yeah, I gave he, it a couple of years before I even looked. I was just saying, he didn't start using it until 2011. Ah, and then I he was it. over okay. it at the same time. That's, hold on, where's the little ding button? That one? We either have to capitalize all these or remove all the capitals or teach Soundwave to ignore capitalization because it's so hard to find stuff. Well, it's it's a Unix system, so I don't think we can just tell it to ignore capitals because that's, that's, not, how a, the, that's, that's not how Unix file systems work. That's a good point and the best kind of correct. A, a thing that frequently annoys me when I am on file systems that, that treat upper and lowercase the same. I get very mad at them. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. But you know what's worse than that? The Spanish Inquisition? Also, when someone else makes the file system, or not the file system, but makes the file structure and you have no control over it, and they don't put in leading zeros for numbers. Oh, I hate that. Uh-huh. I, I Yes. You've got to scroll damn near the bottom of the page to get to number nine, even if there's 700 entries. In fact, if there's 700 entries, you've got to scroll all the way to the bottom of the page to get to number nine. It, it drives me batty. So I don't have feedback, but I have something else. Okay. Could you tell us? Yeah, do tell. Um, it's almost New Year's, so you know what that means. It's time for the uh, HPR New Year show. Boy. So it's happening. Uh, it'll be on New Year's Eve. It's starting at 10 UTC, which is 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is crazy. Um, I'm sure somebody will hit the start button. It will not be me. Um, so it's going to be on the HPR mumble server, like always. Um, and they're going to keep going until everybody leaves, which is usually about, uh, 12 o'clock UTC the next day. So eh, come check it out. If you haven't uh, done it before, it's interesting. I know there's, they're wanting to do a big push to make it outside of HPR just to get other people who don't do HPR to show up. So if you listen to us and not HPR, which I don't know who you are, if that's the case, but if you don't. Uh, yeah, stop it. Say hi. Yeah, if you never heard of HPR, you listen to us, and you're like an old school phone freak, this is right up your alley. I mean, if you listen to us and don't know what HPR is, first of all, please write in and tell me how. How did you find <laughs> us if you don't know what HPR is? I'm sure it's happened. Probably by accident. I have a quick question for our guest. Yes, sir. Why are you here? I love it, but why are you here? I just wanted to say hi to my guys. Is that a crime? No, of course not. Are are you? Can we help you promote anything at all? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Nothing that's come out in the last week or so. But seriously, um, actually, yeah, the latest audio chapter of my new book came out this week. So yeah, that is something I can promote. But um, the. uh, next Star Drifter novel is out. It's called All He Surveys, Volume 1. There will be a Volume 2 that will complete this novel. It's just that it was unwieldy, and I decided it was better to push out at least half the book, uh, you know, right now, rather than wait another however long before I got the entire thing done. So, um, yeah, I'm doing this in two parts. I never thought I would do that, but here we are. Well, you are not the first of my favorite authors to have done that. 
I'm not the first to have done anything in my life, but um, it it really did become uh, a something I was really concerned about. You know, it was taking so long to get this thing done, and the book had grown to enormous proportions, and I realized I just was not going to be able to get this done in a timely fashion, and it uh it began to seem impossible and then a uh many people including um you guys i believe at some point suggested it but uh it was finally the word of a a friend of mine named keith hughes a fellow author and uh, he said why don't you just break it in half i mean i don't know anything about how the book is you know because he hadn't read it at that point and but you know is there any way you could do that because then you got something moving forward and somehow when he said it, it rang a bell and I thought, yeah, that's the way to go. So that's what I did. And it did take a little while to break it off because it wasn't designed to do that. But once I once I got all my ducks in a row, I was able to finally push it out. I mean, sometimes it really does take someone else telling you something, even if it's something you already know, to, to really land on to, for it to you know sink in. Well, exactly. It it absolutely, in this case, took an outside perspective because I, I think I'd still be sitting on it now if if I hadn't heard him say it. And it was probably the weight of many voices that finally, you know, got through to me. But uh, when he finally said that at first, I mean, honestly, my knee jerk reaction when he said it was just no, no, that's just no, no, it's just not the way I designed this series like it's, you know, set in stone. But at some point I realized I'm. I'm an indie publisher and that gives me absolute freedom. And that means I'm free from my, my preconceptions, the things I came up with at a different time. I'm not beholden to those, you know, that was a different me with different ideas and different desires than the one who was at that point. And, you know, in other words, I didn't have to keep my word to myself because it didn't really matter. You know, in the end, I can do whatever it takes to get the job done. And it, it's odd. It's odd. These little games that, you know, we play with ourselves in our heads trying to get things done. But um, it, it it finally sunk in that I can do anything I want. I don't have anyone else telling me I can't. And that's when I realized that, yeah, there's absolutely no reason why I can't do that. And that's what I did. It, it, it took, it took, it was a long road to get there in my head, but finally, finally. Well, I mean, having read the part one, but not read the whole thing, it at least felt satisfying where you chose to break it off. It break it off. It didn't feel like you were in the middle of a thing. It felt like you told a complete story while also there is more story to tell. Well, that was the goal. I'm, I'm happy it felt that way. Um, it was not at all, I wasn't at all sure that I was going to be able to do that, quite frankly, because, um, the original first or second draft of this thing, um, I only had 40 chapters, same content, but broken up into 40 chapters instead of what will eventually be 50, 25 in this one and 25 in the next. And, you know, just little things like that, you have to start shifting scenes from one chapter to another. And can that be done? And how do you go about doing it? And it, it was a bit of a job trying to mix and match like that, you know, um, get get it all to work so that 
the story, the same story is still being told, but it doesn't feel like it's like, why is, you know, why, why are we here? Because sometimes it, you know, it would be like, you know, you have half of a scene in one chapter and then half of another scene in that chapter. And then it would pick up in the next chapter, which doesn't always make a lot of sense. But, uh, you know, for instance, for instance, um, chapter, uh, I think it's, uh, six and seven, um, or is it seven and eight? Something like, but there, there's a long scene where the main character, Ejok, is sitting in a police station. And it's a very long scene. And I had to break it off at one point in that scene because it was going on way too long. And then pick it up in the next chapter. But because the second half of that scene dovetails into, you know, uh, a little bit of action. Not not real action, but the story progresses beyond the, the police station. Um, I was able to break it off in that spot. Originally, that was all one chapter. That whole thing was one chapter. So there were some compromises that had to be made. I mean, um, there was just no way that I was going to be able to make everything nice and contained in a particular chapter. But I think overall, it, it flows well enough that the story, you know, you can follow the story. And, I, you know, in the end, that's all that really matters. Well, I for one, I'm, I'm glad you uh, got it, got what you've got out, and look forward to the audio and the other uh, the volume two. Yeah, I've yeah. Been, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I've been listening to the audio as it comes out, and I know there's some like you're not happy that you're not able to put them out all like a lot faster. I'm actually enjoying only getting little bits at a time and having to wait. Like part of me, like I don't like it, but I do like it. Like the anticipation for the next chapter is awesome every time. I, I commend you. I am have, after having torn through the book. I am waiting till all the audio is out because I do not have the the patience and could not wait. Like I, I have to know what happens to our friend Ejok. Well, um, the one thing about the audio, you guys already know this. I've stated it plenty of times in you know other places, but um, the there are between each chapter there are small segments i call interstitials and they they're not part of the regular narrative they're elements that take place more or less outside of the of the action of the story that kind of give some perspective some outside perspective on what's happening and the um i'm not including those in the audio and i think possibly um since you guys have read the book, you probably can understand why I wouldn't do that. There are extended sequences in some of it that are done by a female character. And I can't, I can do, you know, I can play with a female voice within the context of the book, but I can't do an entire chapter in that voice, you know, and it wouldn't make a lot of sense to do it in my voice and then switch when the character is speaking in for an interstitial, because that character is the main character of that interstitial it's complicated and i i think i made the right choice by not doing it plus plus it makes it much easier to get these out in time you know or some kind of time weren't there also one or two that were very kind of for lack of a better description te textual that it, it was text in a way that needed to be read and couldn't really be translated to audio in a way that would still convey the meaning in this particular book I think there's less of that. There might be a couple. The, uh, I'm not thinking of them right off the bat uh, directly. But in one of the previous uh, books named Street Candles, that was absolutely the case. Uh, there were several that were just like 
charts or you know or, or uh, rather tables of, of facts and figures and things like things that really couldn't be read out you know in an audiobook um in this case there's a little less of that although although i take that back some of it could be done in like say audio drama format whereas you have multiple characters is it you know talking like a you know like an audio play um there's one interstitial where there are a bunch of people on a chat talking and that could be done that way i suppose but it's a lot of work it's an awful lot of work and it wouldn't be very clear who's speaking necessarily so it um i yeah yeah you're probably right there is some stuff like that that just absolutely wouldn't make a lot of sense being read out straight um and so it's better to leave it off because it's not a re you know th that is not regular narrative writing so it's probably better not to include it since it doesn't directly impact plot at all i will give you one heads up about part two or volume two in, in that there is some aspect there is one or there are one or two interstitials that will appear or maybe have already appeared that will have a direct bearing on the plot of the book but that will again hopefully you won't need to have had the interstitial for that to make sense by the time i get to it i will also say that i greatly enjoyed the interstitials and they felt like they called back to a lot of you know other bits of the universe you've created various short stories things like that Th things that you've just done to to really add texture to this world that you've created or worlds Oh, I hope so. There's enough pull from now that I can use some of that and uh, and, you know, actively add it to, you know, and the element of, of future work. So, uh, you know, it, it, in time, you get enough material that you can begin to kind of reconfigure it and use it to add, you know, uh, as you say, texture, add add some background to a particular, you know, part of a story. It, most of these books as you know, since you, you've read them and heard them, um, you know that most, probably the majority of the of the text in these books is probably all world building. It's all background. Um, and that's because I, I, I kind of see that if I just blew ahead with some of it, some of it would be easy to figure out, but some of it, without the context, it, do, it wouldn't make any sense at all. Um, I think so I, I try to add as much of that in there as I can and I know it can be long-winded and a little boring for some people especially if they're looking for action um, but the, I'm not an action writer you know I might have some scenes that have action in it but I wouldn't call any of my novels like action stories adventure stories per se ah the favorite part of the episode where you've come to the end of a topic and there is no obvious transitions <laughs> everybody's scanning notes not me I don't have them in front of me Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> well, we were talking about space and we were talking about episodic, the episodic nature of things. So, hey, Pokey, this is this is maybe the time you go to sleep. Oh, oh are we going to talk about Look at my laser sword? <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> Lost in Bronx, there's a uh, link in the mumble chat to the show notes. Oh, OK, I see it. Thanks. So good night, Pokey. I'll wake you up when we're done talking about Star Wars. Well. When you're done talking about Star Wars, before we transition too hard, I have a laser sword thing, too. Okay. Oh. Um, so, hey, guys. How about Andor? Jesus Christ, the show's good. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. I That's don't like to... 
I don't like to talk in, in absolutes, but this may be maybe my favorite Star Wars yet. I was going to say, Pokey, you may actually really dig Andor. All right. Maybe I'll get my wife to watch it with me. There's no space magic so far. Basically, it is a spy thriller that just happens to be set in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, there's very little in it that you would need to change to make this something based on Earth today. You know, I mean, there are parallels to almost everything we see in it somewhere in the world. It was kind of a running joke for a while between Lyle and me that, like, as bad as the Empire seems in this show, and they seem really terrible, we, we were kind of like, yeah, but actually they're kind of doing better than America is at this point. Well, it's the old thing, you know, Mussolini was a terrible dictator, but he made the trains run on time, you know? Right. Yeah, as much as I, like Star Wars for me, I've said it before, is is laser swords and space wizards. Like that's that's peak Star Wars for me, and I love everything in the Filoni verse. I I'm having a hard time not saying that this is the best Star Wars I've seen, at least since the original trilogy. I, I mean, if you're talking about things we have seen, I, I hands down, yes. Well, the only thing even close to me, at least in for my personal taste, is Rogue One, and there's no surprise there because they're so closely connected. Yeah, this being yeah. a prequel and all. So, I think a prequel to a prequel that's a standalone. That's a prequel. Exactly. Absolutely clear. Well, especially because they went into this show saying we're not gonna. It's not going to be a ton of Easter eggs. It's not going to be this. But then somehow it still is, just because it fleshes out so many things that we've never seen, and, and d- does the it in a e- realistic way. Well, the Easter eggs are entirely things you can you can notice or not notice, and it has zero impact on the story, um, as opposed to something like The Mandalorian, which I also really like. I really like The Mandalorian, not all aspects of it, but I really like The Mandalorian. But if you didn't know anything about Star Wars, if you knew nothing about Star Wars at all, and you started watching Andor you could follow that very easily. You would just understand, okay, this is another galaxy and it's space and the future and there are aliens. And that's all you would need to know walking into it. The Mandalorian, not the case. You need, you know, what's a Mandalorian? Who are these people? What happened to them? Except, you know, all all of the elements of the Mandalorian that fans of Star Wars take for granted. But you know, Andor doesn't need any of that to tell a great tale. I'm just, I'm in love with this show. It's just really, really good. I mean, realistically, you could take someone who, as you had said, you could take someone who's never even heard of Star Wars, drop them into this show, and you would have to do no work to get them caught up to speed. Exactly. Exactly. It's a show that could easily, as as we were saying, it could easily live outside of Star Wars. Um, and you could, you know, with just swapping out a few things, you could absolutely tell it tell this tale or one very similar to it set in the modern world it's just really very very well done um the you know, acting it's... is tremendous i mean absolutely some of the best i think i've ever seen in star wars you know it's really not fair what you did to me there lost in bronx what's that you woke me up i heard you say Andor's tale and then you guys are still talking about laser swords no pokey i told you there are no laser swords in the show i heard him say Andor's tale Andor does not have a tail he's human do you have a trail? Well, the Empire uh, is trying to not, find one, yeah. He's trying not to, and being only moderately successful. He's kind of winging the spy thing. And uh, I guess from a, you know, 
Legends fan perspective, Rogue One and now this show are some of the closest I'm ever going to get to my favorite Star Wars stories ever written. Because while it's not the stories, it's not the characters that I miss mattering, and they still matter to me, it's got the tone. And even if they're not telling the same stories, the fact that they're bringing in that tone to it does a lot of the same things for the for the the greater narrative. Well, quite frankly, it's better written than any other Star Wars we've seen yet. Um, you know, I have a huge love for the original trilogy. You know, I, I saw the original Star Wars when it was first released. I saw it in the theaters and, you know, I've just been a lifelong fan. It's it, in many ways it shaped who I am. Um, but those every one of those characters were an archetype. You know, something we can already latch onto. And that's why it worked so well for that kind of tale. That's why it worked. We already knew who these people were. With just a couple of lines, we knew what these characters were all about. Andor is not like that at all. Even the villains have so much depth to them. We care about what happens to the bad guys. In them. I mean, when when has that ever happened in a Star Wars film? Or show, or TV show, or whatever. And I don't know how people always you know, felt bad for Anakin. I never felt bad for that bastard. Not, not even slightest, not even a little bit, but you not know, even he, when even he had s- to, not even when he had to hang out with Jar Jar Binks. Ugh, well, that boy, that's going a long way. <laughs> that's I mean, going a I, long way. I felt bad for Anakin because he had to read off George Lucas's lines. Oh, well, I felt, and- I, I felt bad for Christian Haydenson, but he's come a long way. I've seen him in other things since then, and he's, he's come a very long way as an actor. I mean, I also felt bad for me because I had to hear him say them. Yeah, it was, ba- it was just bad writing. And in a lot of ways, he never had a chance to succeed. And film, as we now, I think we're beginning to see, for a story that involved and that complex that takes place over the course of so many years... Film is not a great medium for that kind of story. Now, they didn't have a choice back then. There was no television show that could, you know, could possibly have presented it in a better better light. But imagine Star Wars, all of these movies that they've made. Imagine those in a serialized format on television, the way Andor and Rogue One, and or not Rogue One, but um, The Mandalorian and, you know, other such shows you know, are, are now coming out as. I mean, I think we're living in a great time for Star Wars, provided they keep showing us this. I don't need another, you know, J.J. Abrams special, you know, uh, movie or anything like that. Those, well, I won't even go there, but it, um, I think that these stories have grown so big and so complicated that they need a lot more time and attention than uh, a, a film necessarily can give us. Absolutely. I mean, or they can kind of do what it looks like Marvel is doing, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them both do this, where you get a majority of your world building and your character development through these series, and then what we have are our big moments, our set pieces as movies, where you know, you'll have a decade of stories in TV shows, and then the Battle of Yavin is the movie. Yeah, see, that would work. That could work. Um, and I mean, Ma- you know, Marvel, Marvel is absolutely pulling that off right now. Oh, they absolutely are. Yeah, they, they've actually very much targeted a uh, um, or, or found a, a formula that's actually working pretty well. A lot of people are talking about 
you know, having kind of um, Marvel burnout where there's just so much Marvel stuff that they're kind of sick of it. But this stuff goes in cycles, you know, and superheroes were massive. Well, maybe we're seeing an era where they're going to be less big than they were and other things will start moving up. I don't know. But Star Wars could take a page from that because I don't think anyone's ever going to get sick of Star Wars that same way. It kind of has lived and lived large throughout all the different eras since its creation. And uh, well, I think, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I, I thought I heard a pause. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. It, it, I just don't want you to, you know, talk about the whole, you know, like we go through the, the story and the backstory and all that in a series and then do the big thing in the movie like it's a genius thing because Firefly did it by accident. More out of necessity than accident. Uh, y yes, both. Yeah, but I, I'm, yeah, just saying, I, I'm just saying Firefly, I don't think it's groundbreaking that, that Star Wars or Marvel does it now. I, I, I wasn't saying it was groundbreaking. No, no, it's very successful, and they've done it very, very well. I think that's ultimately... Um, they they See, the thing about... Don't forget, Firefly was a flop. It was a flop on TV, and it was a flop as a movie. It, the movie was a bomb. It didn't do well at the box office. And the show had poor enough ratings that it didn't survive past its first season now i you love mean, you, mean, you mean because they did a terrible job airing it in the right order or it, at a predictable time or those problems have always existed for television shows you know they've always always happened for television shows and it was not a television show at that time it was not a television show that absolutely depended upon sequential storytelling you know, there were elements of it that would be a little confusing if you hadn't already seen the the original episode, but it wasn't super dependent upon that. So I, I wouldn't necessarily put all the blame on the network. It just never found. I mean, think oh, about it. The I, show, the show got on. canceled. Hold okay. on. I just I have to disagree with you there. Um, all of the blame does go to the network. Putting the show out of order does not get all the blame. They made multiple mistakes. That just wasn't the only one. Well, then let me ask you this. If after the show got canceled and it became a cult favorite and then eventually a really big favorite within the genre, um, so much so that nearly everybody who likes science fiction and fantasy, people that go to these conventions, all of these people, millions and millions and millions of fans, where were they? There were really that many of them. Where were they when it became a film, when they made the movie? Uh, you know. I, I mean, I can answer part of that. I can tell you where I was. Go ahead, Lyle, I, you first. I was too young to know, know I anything about it. I didn't know anything about it until after the movie came out. And I am like, how did I miss this? This is perfect. It's same thing here. I had no idea. I did not know it existed until, what, 2010, maybe-ish? That's a guess. Uh, maybe a little early, earlier than that, but certainly not within five years. That's how bad a job the network did that I never heard of the thing. I'm sorry. I don't agree. I don't agree. I just you don't, don't agree that I never heard of it. No, you know what? That's not what I'm <laughs> saying. God, they put it up against Seinfeld. How was anybody? It was never. To know it no, existed? no offense. Yeah, it was never going to work that way. No argument there. But it never found its audience. It found a core group, and beyond becoming a cult favorite, it never progressed beyond that. I mean, where were all the Star Wars fans for for? Firefly. Where were all the Star Trek fans for Firefly? Now I'm talking they, shit I'm, about Firefly, but I love Firefly. I do. You know, I saw it when it first came out. I saw the movie when it first came out. But 
you know, I mean, I realize now that the people weren't there for it. They just didn't turn out for it. So it's it never not, found its audience. And I'm telling you, it's not because they heard of it and were like, yeah, I'll, I don't care about this for another 10 years. No one heard of it. We never heard of it. We didn't know it existed. We, well, <laughs> Lyle just said it. I just said it. This is personal experience. Well, you know, a lot of people did. A lot of people, when that film came out, it was ballyhooed in these circles. You know, I heard all about it. It was in, it was in, you know, magazines. It was on television. Hang you on. Know, it was around. What does ballyhooed mean? Th thank you for asking. I was going to ask too, because you use this word and I don't know what you're trying to tell me here. It, it means sorry, you're making, smarter a, than us. making a big deal out of something, shouting it. But okay. in, a, in, a, in a positive or negative light? Generally positive. Generally positive. Yeah, I didn't hear anybody say it then. And, and, and honestly, if I did, if I had heard it, I probably wouldn't have cared because I wouldn't have known about the show. And if I had heard it and gone to watch the movie without watching the show first, I'd be a very unsatisfied um, viewer of it. I would have been very disappointed watching it in that order. Well, I don't know what to say to that. I can't, I can't, you know, talk to your own personal experience. But, you know, if if there was a huge fan base for it now, why aren't we seeing another movie come out? Because Wash is dead. He oh, wasn't the only part of the spoiler show. Spoiler alert, damn it. Yeah. Well, that was done, obviously, you know, because they knew there wasn't going to be any more of it, or they suspected that there wasn't going to be any more of it. Plus, yeah, yeah, that that's actually not entirely true. You know, um, Whedon likes to kill off major characters. That's, you know, he, that's kind of a thing that he does. Uh, I think it's a cheap effect, frankly, because he knows it's going to jar people and it's going to upset them. It's like cheap emotion, a cheap way to, to grab emotion. But, you know, that being said, a major character does pass on and a character that was beloved. And you could say, well, and they, they do leave it at a point where it, you don't need any more of this story. You could tell as many tales as you want, but you don't need it. You don't say, oh, my God, what what happened next? You're left off at a point in, you know, by the end of Serenity, the film, that you don't necessarily need to see more of this to understand that they're going to go on and probably have more adventures and more fun um, and that they're they're now a family a tight-knit group and they're doing they're survive they're gonna go okay and they're gonna they're gonna do well as opposed to leaving you halfway through somebody's story you are correct in everything you just said however I don't think that's the reason we didn't see more firefly I think the reason we didn't see more firefly was licensing and ownership and properties and licensing basically possibly I don't know anything about that part of it but um, well, I know, I know. Nathan Fillion tried several times to crowdfund, um, not just the, the production cost, but getting the rights to it. I, I believe. I, I don't think I'm making that part up. Well, anybody can try, but that doesn't mean there's things. There are problems with the licensing. It just means that people who own it don't want to sell it. But that you know, the That's problem a licensing is problem. If you're the guy, no, trying to it's only a problem. It's only a problem for us because we want it. But if they don't, you know, a, a real licensing problem is when they're going to court and it's caught. Everybody wants a piece of this thing. Everybody wants to produce something with it, but nobody can come to a conclusion. That's a problem. You know, this is just somebody doesn't want to sell it because they think they can do something with it later. Maybe there will be. And I would love, don't get me wrong, I would love to be wrong about this. I would love to. But right now, I don't think I am. 
yet. And again, I'll, I sadly, I think I have to disagree with you. I don't think I want to see Firefly at this point. Something you know made in this day and age. I, I don't. I don't think it would have the same effect on me that the original did. I. I it would be more like the the Muppets reboot with the weird puppet with the dreadlock hair. That it just wouldn't do it for me. So I have two things about Andor. Sorry, oh yeah, there, there was a there was, Dodge, there, go ahead. there was a topic back there somewhere. Um, first, no surprise, uh, the music. I don't. I've never heard anything this this composer has done before. This uh, his name is Nicholas Bertel. He is doing such a good job making non Star Wars Star Wars music uh, that I'm insanely jealous. Like the, you, the, you mean Star Wars music that sounds like Star Wars music without being John Williams? Yeah, and in the, the way that like there's a definite theme of the music is tied to the planets for the show and that different planets have completely different like genres of sounds um like some of them are very sort of synth wavy and some of them are very like like coruscant is very um uh very almost like brutalist sounding and 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 very stripped down minimalist and you know some of the some of the scenes it's a little different with some of the characters like andor has his own kind of sound um but just in general being able to to write music across different genres and none of it stick out and all of it still feel enough like star wars to not pull you out is is kind of amazing um i've always said that uh kevin what's it kiner the guy that does the did Clone Wars and uh, Rebels and all that stuff that he should be the default composer for Star Wars. Uh, this made me rethink that a little bit. I think this guy's pretty good and they should keep using him. Um, the other point I w wanted to bring up is that all the Star Wars shows so far that have been on Disney Plus have used that volume technology, which is like enhanced green screens. And they have all led to these weird situations where things feel really tiny and really cheap <laughs> and really slow. Um, this show didn't use that and it's gorgeous and huge. So uh, as much as that technology is cool and I, I'm interested in seeing what they do with it, uh, let's just build real sets and, and make real Star Wars. Is that, what did you call it? What was that effect? So th they call it the volume. It's, it's basically a, um, a, almost 360 degree space that is curved screens that is set up. Uh, I, I believe it's either Unity or Unreal. Is that it's a game engine that they use, and they map all the things that would be green screened into this area and project it so people can see it. And as you move the camera, it moves the background. So it's it's like a real space. But the thing is, is you're you're filming in this little space. So even, no matter how big it looks, it kind of feels small. Like we said in Boba Fett, like the 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 dumb space Vespa chase that like yeah, everybody yeah, kind of yeah. walked. That's faster. what I was going to ask. Yeah, that that was that was the kind of thing that like that's done in the volume. So it's a cool tech, and I think it lets them do things that they wouldn't be able to do before. And I know the actors really like it because instead of acting in front of a green screen, you actually see what yep. you're supposed to be seeing. Um, but supposedly for Andor, and the reason it took so long is they didn't want to do that. They were like, let's just build sets. Let's do what we've always done. And I, I think it shows. I think it's it looks gorgeous. Was the really slow speeder chase in the Han Solo one? Was that that same thing? I don't think that it had been invented yet. No, it wasn't around for Han Solo or for the Solo movie. Not yet. They were working on it at that point, but it wasn't ready for them to actually shoot with. I think, I think Mandalorian may have been the first thing they did with it. Yes. 
Yeah. So that yeah. Han Solo speed, not the speeder, but the car type thing, but that that one, right? Yeah. All right. So that was just poor <laughs> movie making. All right. Yeah, that was just done badly. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And I mean, there's a part of that with the speeder, the the like space Vespa thing too. Like, I j- that wasn't good, but I think that that's a complaint you've heard a lot about those shows is that they're kind of cheap looking and that they they look like they have a big scale, but they don't feel like they have a big scale. I think which, it which, like which a lot of weird. things, like like a lot of things, you know, in special effects, especially, they just really haven't figured out the best time to use it. It's a great tool. You know, the volume is a great tool, but it isn't the tool for everything, you know, and I think they're trying to figure out exactly when do you use it and when don't you. And it might be, you know, you only use it in certain situations, certain types of things. Now, to be fair to them in both uh, Mandalorian and in the Boba Fett show, a lot of that was being shot during COVID. So they had to make a lot of compromises regarding how things were going to get made. But going forward, I, I think we'll, you know, we might see more judicious use of that tech. Well, when, but did they, did they have to compromise on Cad Bane's face? That's not as bad as everybody thinks it is. I disagree. I don't. I think that the, the stylized animation that they've always done in all those shows is, is so far off from the reality that, like, it, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, it didn't bother me. I mean, Saul Guerrero goes from what he is in the Clone Wars to being Forrest Whitaker. If I'm going to buy that, because they are very different looking people, if if I buy that, I can buy that that live action Cad Bane's face is, you know, proportionally different than he was in animation. Could they have done better? Yes. Am I wor- worried that they didn't? Not that much. Well, and I'm, yeah, I mean, your point is, is right on target. I mean, if you took any of the humans from, you know, Clone Wars or any of those shows and made them, you know, realistically, you know, portrayed them realistically the way they're proportioned on the show, they would look like mutants. I mean, it's it's a a stylized animation style. And in, I think that translating that into reality, there's abs- it's there's no way you're going to get the exact same thing. Then again, you know, I can see the counter argument that you're not dealing with humans or something that we all know about. So why not? So. I don't know. Well, and, they made a choice and it didn't bother me. Well, and I guess I'm going to use your own kind of language to make my point, though, is having the humans look different. I think to your point, because we know what a human looks like, we kind of our brains bridge that gap better. Cad Bane, for me, looked so different that it did take me out of the story. I noticed how different he looked and couldn't not notice it. And so I was less in the story and more. Wait, that guy doesn't look right. I mean, if I was doing it, would I have made that a CG character? Absolutely. But that's not what they did. Oh, going back to the volume, I I will say um, the recent Star Trek shows, I think Discovery and Strange New Worlds, have that same technology now. And I think that it works better on those shows because it's Star Trek. And when they use it, they're all just standing around talking because it's Star Trek, um, which I love. Uh, But... Um, it is it is always blatantly obvious when they're using it because they're standing around. <laughs> so I don't know what that says about it, but it, it's just I, I think that Lost in Bronx is probably right. It's new. They're trying to figure out how to best use it. Oh, I see what you're saying, Lyle. Yeah, there's no way to put a mouth that low on a human being. Yeah, I get that. He looks like a completely different character. I I I might be with Lyle on this one. They they might have 
done something with a prosthetic or CGI that portion of it. And and as much as I hate CGI, I think I would have forgiven them for that. I thought you were going to say you hated agreeing with me. Well, that too. No, no, no. No, I love agreeing. I just like arguing with you. <laughs> That's not the same thing. It isn't. You're absolutely right. People don't understand that. They get mad at me because they think that just because I'm arguing means I disagree. So when they film that way, you said it's projected in the background, like literally with projectors, or is it more like an OLED type of screen situation? They are screens. It's it's literally a giant wraparound screen. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, they must be like rearward projecting through it, I'm guessing. No, no, it's like it's a TV screen, essentially, that wraps all the way around them. Oh, okay, like an OLED screen then. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that was what I was asking. So when they film it, the camera's recording the screen. They're not, like, re-green-screening that out and redoing it. That It's actually filming what's being projected. Yes. They may tighten it up a little bit later on if they sure. need to, but by and large, yeah, that's exactly how it works. Because I know oh. one of the things that they've mentioned that they like about it is it makes lighting scenes so much easier because you're actually getting lit the way you would be lit, so they don't have to worry about it as much. Okay. Some of the biggest issues that people have had, or that I've heard anyway, that people have had with scenes that are filmed there is that on occasion, and I personally haven't noticed it, but on occasion, the perspective is a little bit off, right? Because the... You know, the perspective of the background is shifting as the camera moves. And if those aren't perfectly in sync, it looks a little strange. So some people have caught that and it's it's brought them right out of the scene. What you're talking about is parallax and, and parallax. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When you're when your depth of field, it, I don't know, I guess is adjusted. The, the parallax has to be spot on. The Beatles nailed this in like the 60s with Yellow Submarine. I just want to comment once again how I, I, hanging out with people who are smarter than me because I honestly don't even notice the music, which in a lot of ways means it's doing its job. Yeah, I didn't comment because I never noticed the music at all. I don't even hear it. But yeah, it's I'm me, so I didn't. I didn't want to. You know, you know me and music, so I, I didn't want to say anything. I'm and I'm, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back with the point of I think that because I don't notice it. That means it's doing its job. It's creating the atmosphere, setting the tone, but it's not doing it to the point where the audio cue is the is the information I'm getting. It's adding just enough to it without being obvious. Yeah, yeah. and if Taj hadn't have said anything, I would have missed that when my wife and I go to watch it. I'm glad he said it before I watched it. I'm, I'm very appreciative of that, Taj. Thank you. Because it's one of those yeah, things. In fact, I... I'm sorry. I just I have to kind of take exception to something in that Taj said in that I don't think this is anything like uh, the John Williams style of music, not just in style of music, but the purpose of the music. I really do think that the music, as Lyle says, it's there to underscore what's there to help bolster it, not to announce it. You know, John Williams, his music is almost a character unto itself throughout all of Star Wars and really almost every other film he's he's done. That's not a criticism. That's his style. That's what he does. And if you're making a film like that, it's appropriate for it. But I I think that would be way too. I mean, it would be absolutely inappropriate for a, a show like Andor. And I think that's that's one of the things that I like about it. I, I'm pretty sure if you have the soundtrack to this, the show, 
and you just played random cuts from it to people and said, you know, what is this from? Nobody would say Star Wars. Like nobody would say Star Wars. But you're you're putting that music up against the visual iconog iconography of Star Wars, right? And it's not creating like a cognitive dissonance. So there's something in there that is enough to tie it and not seem so foreign. But yet it is like listened to independently sounds nothing like John Williams. That's what I think is interesting about it. Yeah, uh, and go ahead. No, you go ahead. But just that um yeah, the iconography of Star Wars is there, but not the characters that are often like in other words, if Darth Vader showed up in Andor and we did not get a Darth Vader theme or a, you know an you know empire uh, theme, it would seem weird, right? It would seem a little a little it would seem a little strange. It would seem a little strange that we didn't get that or something as powerful as that. Um the fact you don't know any of these characters aside from Andor himself. We don't know any of these people, but we know what they represent because they show us, you know, throughout the story. Um, we, uh, I think the music has the, it, it, it cannot stand out on its own. It cannot announce it all. I don't, I, it's just, it, the show is much more subtle and it needed subtler music. And for me, the music, it just doesn't stand out. But I think it's exactly as Lyle has said, is that it's, its job is not to to leap out at you. Its job is is to underscore what's going on on the screen. Taj, I was going to ask you, and and I hate to do this. It's one of my least favorite things when we do it, but we do it so often, and it just it's part of the show. But whatever. But could you like post a link to a, an example of this music that you're talking about? I'm curious to hear what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Let me see if I can find something. Not that we can cut it in for the listener to do or anything, but uh, I, I am curious to know what you guys are talking about now. This is this is interesting. And I have to say, regarding Andor, the uh, the acting, I have to reiterate it. The acting is just absolutely superb. Um, I, there have been some ab some incredible, you know. I mean, just seeing you know some of the some of the people going at it and when they're not nothing is actually happening right they're just talking to each other and it's absolutely riveting you don't get that in star wars generally speaking not you know just watching the performance it's really really impressive i think i will sit down and watch this with my wife then while she's sick how many episodes are there now 11 so far and i think it's only one more which will be this week and then yeah. season 1 will be done and then season two, and then that's it. They're not doing any more. I season, season two brings them up to the events that happen in Rogue One, which they've already filmed. So, I, just going back to the actors, like, um, why is Diego Luna not in more things? Like, he is so good, and like, just his face acting is is amazing sometimes because just because of the, the character and like what he's going through you're watching somebody be radicalized in real time which is which is fun because that's a conversation that me and lyle are, are constantly having like when, when does he actually flip to being the andor we know from uh rogue one but just like the conflict that he can show just in facial expressions is uh just amazing because well, you know he start he starts the series as more han solo than han solo was he, he was like the definition like scoundrel merc for hire and we know by the time we get to rogue one where he ends up as a you know 
as much a true believer as, you know, Saw Gerrera and Mon Mothman. Well, we haven't seen his whole story. Don't forget, there's going to be a whole nother season to get the rest of it. So he's not going to be all the way there by the end of this season. No, but watching that journey has been a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. And like every week as I'm watching it, I'm texting Tosh. Is, is this the moment? Is this the moment where he flipped? I think we he has to find his sister before we get to that moment. I don't know. I, I still th- I'm currently holding that he had his moment in episode 11, but we'll we'll see. I don't know. It dep- I've, I've thought that at least twice before and I was wrong. So we'll see. I mean, hang on. Ah, here be spoiler. Pokey, plug your ears. Oh, all right. Hold on. Uh, I, I'm going to make the argument that when he finds out his mom does that, that's it. OK. I, I was thinking that it was the um, it just he, the one thing he said, and I, I can't quote it verbatim, but it's when I would rather die trying to stop them than die giving them what they want. To me, that was the moment. I, I, I think that there is more going on with his mom's death than has been shown. And I think that that's that's going to play into it. I don't think she's dead personally. I don't either. We didn't see the body. <laughs> we didn't I, get to see the body. We saw a funeral procession. Yeah, and the the fact that she was so hardcore, like, no, the rebellion. I think she's still alive, and him finding out that she's dead is going to drive him towards the rebellion, and I think they're going to meet up again. That is an interesting theory. She was sick, though. She was really, really sick. I could be wrong. I am disappointed we haven't seen more of our boy Saw. I I doubt they can get him. (laughs) Yes, that's true. But also, you don't want it to be... You don't want to do what they did with the Boba Fett show, and it just be oops all cameos well and on top of that every time he's on screen it's the saw Gerrera show so you know give him his own show if that's what you want to do but i, yes, I wouldn't yeah, let yes, him take please. over somebody else's yeah yes please i want that show oh I, just, I want that too that's you know that's breaking bad in star wars yes that's what i was gonna I, say I, I mean except that he he never he never breaks he well, i mean we saw his breaking moment in like clone wars Oh, wait, that was not okay on mute. That was okay. You'll let me know. No, that was okay on mute. We're past the, the thing that I think is the spoiler. Okay, thank you. No, I I mean, Saw has been fighting the same fight since he was like 16. Well, I think we saw him completely break in Rogue One. That's already been done. You know, I mean, yes, because then he's dead. Well, he could have gotten on the, the ship with them and gone away with them. But he just, it's, he was like, yeah, all right, I'm out. Every time that Luthien is in a scene, or Luthien, not Luthien, Luthien is Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Luthien is in a scene. Um, Bjorn's girl. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I want more of him and more of like all that rebel planning. Like it would be the probably the most boring fucking show that has ever existed. But I am so there for that because every time that is happening, I am so transfixed that uh, it's and part of it's Skarsgård. He's just so. He's so good. good. Oh, he's like, amazing. He's you amazing. You just can't like that. That like boiling up rage, completely suppressed. Like, well, and he he is legitimately playing two characters, and watching him turn them on and off is so good. Yes. And Mon Mothma, tell me that's I. Oh. I, I got to tell you before when we started seeing Mon Mothma, I was like, I don't give a crap about this. Boy, have I been sucked in. It is so good. And my understanding is, is because they they cast her for the prequels and, and they, then didn't use her 
and barely yeah, used her. And cut. she was yeah. she was cast for just looking like Mon Mothma. Like, and that was what it was. For her to turn around and turn in this performance, um, it, sold. Sold. Like, how, and how many years ago was that? And the exactly. woman doesn't look different? No, I mean, like, whatever she's taking, I'll, I'll have to. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have some of that. It's probably plastic surgery, but which I won't do, but, you know, other than that. Some age reassignment tech. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Please and thank you. So there's other Star Wars, too. Yeah, I've oh, watched about, thir- about... I've watched about 30 seconds of that show. So can I, can I request that we bump that? Unless you and Lost in Bronx want to dig into it? I just want to make one comment. It, is it going to be much of a spoiler? No. Okay. Um, Dave Filoni, my homeboy. I know you're listening. Um... <laughs> I'd like to make <laughs> I'd like to make one request of you. Uh after after you do the uh Ahsoka show, which is already done. So like listen to me. Um this show has never made me want uh an animated show that is Dooku and young Qui-Gon going around doing Jedi shit uh more than this. Uh just just make that show right now, please. Because I watched uh I think four episodes of it and I lost interest. I haven't I, I just don't care. I, I'm at the point where uh, I, I I still like I want a Killmonger was right shirt. Um, I'm about to the point where I want a Dooku was right shirt. Uh, I mean, yeah, everything I've read about his history, very much. And, and, and see, and he, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, in Tales of the Jedi, you get to see it firsthand, and uh, yeah, it doesn't dissuade me. So he's like the Magneto of Star Wars. I think that I think that's Saw. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a guy that um, so like, to me the prequels, basically the whole point of the prequels, and it's one of the reasons I like the Last Jedi so much is that Luke Skywalker is like, look, the Jedi were not fucking right, like, and they were not doing the right things. Um, to me, that's the whole point of the prequels. Like the the Jedi completely were going down the wrong path and they were messed up. Um, this was the guy that saw it ahead of everybody else. I have one more Star Wars thing, and then we can transition. Excellent. And that's, I'm watching um, Clone Wars with my daughter still, and she's put the pieces together. Not that it's hard, but it's, it. they do a good job, like, putting enough crumbs in that you can put everything together without spelling it out slowly. And she's like, but the, the Chancellor is Sidious. And I keep, I keep being like, but why would he do that? I'm not saying no. But I keep asking her why, because I want her to I want her to figure it out. And it's just it's wonderful to watch. And so she, in, she's really in like, into it then. Yeah. And we're in season six. So we're you know, we're the front half of season six where it's good. And then there's the back half of season six where it gets weird. And then there's the season seven. And then we're on to Bad Batch and Rebels. But we I decided she was old enough because it was a conversation I had with a bunch of my friends at work with kids of different ages. It's what age do you introduce them to Star Wars? Because for me, I never didn't have it, but and, and because of that, it didn't, it wasn't huge. It didn't strike me until a long time later. I wanted, I wanted it to be, I wanted her to understand the scale of it and to be able to appreciate how meaningful it is to me. Not to try and make it that meaningful for her, but for her to be able to, to see in it what I see and not just have it be something that was always part of her life. Like I wanted her to remember what it was like to watch it and not just, oh, this is a thing I have always known. Yeah, even if she turns out she's not super into it, it would be nice if she could understand why you are and why so many other people are. 
if you really want it to be impactful to your kid, don't let her watch any other sci-fi except for Beetleborgs, and then show her Star Wars. Po Pokey? No. CDS would be at my house if I made her watch that. Would be impactful. In yeah, only but negative she'd have ways. nightmares of, like, creepy Jay Leno guy. I'd have nightmares of creepy Jay Leno guy. That's, that's fair. That's appropriate. So, uh, Taj, you did mention some Lord of the Rings things. Did we have something there to talk about? Uh, yeah. Pokey, have you seen it yet? No, and I probably won't. I'm, I'm sorry. What? I, I'm, I'm sorry, Pokey, to put you on the spot like this, but please explain yourself. The whole time I was watching this, I th kept thinking, I can't wait to talk about this with Pokey. I'm sure he's going to love it. Really? I've, I've heard many Lord of the Rings fans say that it's trash. <laughs> oh, glad I'm teed up then. I, I heard it was just more the more more recent hobbit movie I, I heard it was a lot of that so i i just was i was going to avoid it i i'll stick to reading the books every couple of decades yeah i mean i was so hyped for the show like i wanted this to be so good and um i guess like let's get the nerd complaints out of the way apparently none of this like is timeline correct and it's all like jumbled up and to make a show which i think you have to do giving you know what tolkien is um this show is what eight episodes they're all an hour plus easy uh i got to the last episode and i was like well that should have been the fucking first episode like nothing happened i watched like 10 hours of the show and nothing happened <laughs> like and i get like that's that's kind of that's tolkien like i'm gonna describe it i, I was gonna for, say that, that, i was gonna say that's tolkien for like two hours but it's it's like there's so much money in Lord of the Rings, and I feel like that's what why it went south with The Hobbit. They were like, we, we can't be happy with one movie. We can't be happy with two movies. We have to have three because we have to make all this money. Um, can we just accept that like The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings are the two coherent big stories that he wrote that can be turned into movies and just let the rest of it go? Um, they no, you could you could do the Silmarillion, you just couldn't do it as the kind of movie that people, that are blockbusters today. You you could do more of like an episodic type of thing, but do it in movie form. I mean, we've seen movies like that in the past. The, the, the only one that comes immediately to mind is, um, was it Cat's Eye? I think that was the name of it. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, but even even Pulp Fiction, you can you can tell stories out of sequence uh, and just sort of tie the characters together loosely and still have a movie. If you if you um, put the explosions where the explosions belong, if, or or at least put the the tie-ins where the tie-ins belong. I'm I'm not quite sure how to say it. Lost in Bronx would probably be better at that than I am. I'm not a storyteller. I like the idea, like what you're saying of making this an anthology. That would be way more compelling because what happens is they've got like four storylines going on and they're all spinning their wheels to get to. So they all merge at the same point for the same like, I mean, again, spoilers. Um, Sauron's the bad guy, of course, um, until he's back. It, it's just it's like wasted time and none of it is interesting enough to hold my attention. Um, and they tried to do a thing that they thought was clever. And I think everybody kind of knew what it was from the first episode that they tried to do it in. Um, it, it just like, I, I'm so frustrated because it is beautiful. I mean, if you just 
leave it on mute and watch this uh you, you get your money's worth it is amazing the way it looks um i just wish it the story was good like i struggled to finish it i i and i'm usually somebody that will watch anything all the way through but it it was it was rough it was a chore to finish the show so so let me get this straight me the person who doesn't particularly care for lord of the rings i'm the one who enjoyed it the most which makes sense because this was the least uh, from the reviews i've heard so far and including taj's just now this is the least lord of the rings lord of the rings things that that has ever existed it, maybe it that's is, why i like it i don't know it that's is what lord i'm of saying the that it that seems like it tracks it, it is lord of the rings like it looks right it sounds right um it it does all the right things and i think if it was a story i mean ultimately i can't get away from this point the bad guy is Sauron. We have already seen this bad guy get his ass kicked twice. And we know that like he's going to get his ass kicked here and again. That's not super compelling anymore. Um I, I just, guess that I that did never seemed like the point to me. This is called the Rings of Power. To me this was about how the rings came about. Yes, we know he's going to get his ass handed to him. Yeah, but if it was like so I mean I, I feel like I feel like what you're saying is I watched a slasher movie and, you know, it wasn't suspenseful because I already knew everybody was going to die. Like, yeah. yes, it's a slasher movie. That's going to happen. It's not just that. It's it's that I think there are plot lines in the show that are going on that don't need to be going on. And it's just it's padding it. It's it's like the second and third Hobbit movies. Like, why am I watching this? <laughs> There's so much that's going on. That's not the actual narrative um, that it. It, it just it's boring like Step cool i love seeing numenor i love seeing that culture i love seeing everything about it because it's a place we've always heard about and never seen and we get to see it and it is gorgeous nothing that happens there is impactful like they could have been there said what they needed to say and gotten out like i feel like the whole eight episodes could be a two-hour movie easy and would be much more satisfying and much more compelling the the very concept of padding tolkien it, it sounds absurd <laughs> to me. I, I heard recently on, um, I, I've mentioned it before here, the book pile. They mentioned, I don't know where they came across this. I, I didn't go out and personally verify it. This is according to these guys. But apparently the original manuscript for Lord of the Rings was 9,000 pages. That tracks. So if you're going to pad Tolkien, just take some of that Tolkien and put it back in. Well, and I mean, part of that is, is why I think that um, the 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 whole like the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings are the things that are coherent stories that could be turned into movies. Um, and part of this is just built into like the lore of Tolkien. So many of these things repeat and are you know I, the George Lucas like it's like poetry it rhymes. Um, it's that whole thing that like he used the same ideas in multiple places and kind of tweaked it as he went along um and so there's things in this show like of course there's an elf and a woman in love or you know the elf and a human in love and you know it just seems there's there's an elf and a dwarf that are, are friends which is against the norm it's just like these are all ideas we've seen before like and as much as some of them are like the the relationship between elrond and durin uh th that's kind of funny i like that part of it like that's a buddy cop movie that i would love to watch. yeah exactly to me that was one of the more compelling stories that was happening like i feel like you could have that going on get completely get rid of the 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 wannabe hobbits 
um, and get rid of like, is it Gandalf? Is it Sauron? Just, just fucking have Gandalf show up, right? Let, let's just like just have I mean, him. Show they up. did, yeah. He but, just doesn't know it yet. And he drug a whole subplot along with him that made no impact whatsoever to anything. But they're hobbits, and it was fun. Uh, and it's like Galadriel. I, I feel no, like no, mo- no, no. She's not Galadriel. There, she's she's Gamadriel. Yeah, she is definitely mad. Um, it, it's like a lot of what happens in her story. You could it, it, you could tell me, and it's actually m- more interesting than showing me. She just stay mad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I just told you about three episodes worth of the show, but she just stay mad. That actually, it's it's funny you said that, Taj. That um, telling you would be more effective than showing you. I was just I was just sort of thinking that when you guys mentioned Galadriel, that a lot of what um, characterizes the elves, a lot of what makes elves elves in Middle Earth, is inside their heads it's it's the fact that they have seen the the tree of light it's the fact that they have seen the silmarillion these things that they have seen give them wisdom and you can't portray wisdom on the screen like that if it's just been i saw something and now i'm wiser it's you you, you're much better off telling someone that than trying to show them that and it's the oldest of the elves that are the wisest and it's the wisest of the elves that are most revered uh, among the elves and like that means a lot in Tolkien's world. Oh, and I the had, problem I had... the problem with something like wisdom is that that's inherently a show don't tell type of thing. Um w- we learn about someone's wisdom by what they do or don't do. And it's you know, the elves don't always show all this much wisdom, frankly. A lot of times they show fear. And, you know, their lack of, you know, the refusing to take action about things or, you know, overreacting to other things. A lot of times it doesn't really cross in some of the stuff that Tolkien wrote. Um, And it's only like wisdom is not it's almost like it doesn't track to the kind of wisdom that humans can understand. And in some ways, I think we were supposed to believe that their wisdom kind of is a spiritual wisdom as opposed to a practical one. Uh, that's all I could really ever explain it in my mind. Um, now, I, I can't say anything about Rings of Power. I haven't seen it and frankly don't intend to. It just never, I don't know, it just never seemed like anything I, I had an interest in. Um, but can I, can I jump in before you go further? Oh, sure. That That spiritual versus practical wisdom and they're they're acting through fear. Um, I, I think you're spot on with both of those things. They were there almost at the dawn of time. They've seen the early stages of Middle Earth when it was a very spiritual place, and they've seen it um, decline and decay into a more practical world. The Earth that we inherit now um, is the place that we live, and it's through their unwise actions many many times that it has made that decay that it has that it has turned more to the practical world so it's it's not just it's not a fear of like harm or physical danger it's a jealousy it's a fear of losing that spirituality um that that exists in the world it, it, it's more of uh 
like a preservation than it is like a any one of them would stand up in front of Sauron and, and lay their life down if it if it meant that that old spirituality that old the olden times could be hung on to just a little bit longer i feel like for this show the elves are portrayed basically the same way that the vulcans and enterprise were portrayed which is kind of on point because vulcans are space elves but like um 100 space elves yeah um it's that sort of like well we know better than everybody else you know and it part of it is because of that and you you, you realize that they, they they have an existential threat and that's why they're being that way but it's just i don't know I, it's it didn't... well you wouldn't expect that sort of thing from the elves exactly right? uh, like you know i would expect it from the vulcans having seen actually i love enterprise i love that show not every aspect of it not every part of it but i love what they did with the vulcans on that show um i thought they fleshed them out beautifully um and explained a lot of the problems that we see in other other shows with Vulcans and, you know, kind of the inconsistent behavior that we would sometimes see. You, I wouldn't expect to see that in elves, you know, in Lord of the Rings elves, and, and, and almost at any point in their history. But again, uh, uh, I, uh, I, I, I do see this sort of stuff happen in some of the stories. Um, what but, else, you know, though? I don't want to... Yeah, I don't. I don't want to, you know, belabor it again because I haven't seen this show. So they they may have very good reasons for being the way they are. Wood, wood elves are, are fairly uh, non consistent with the high elves, so you you can expect to see a lot of um, what might be described as deviant behavior when you measure them up to the high elves. So I have a total like nerdy Tolkien question, and Pokey, you may know the answer because it. They say it in the show, and I was like, "Really? I didn't know that was a thing." Um, was Elrond always half human? No. Yeah, he's in the show. Not, not that I, not no. Because they they keep calling him a half elf, and then he's he's he actually like explains his backstory at one point, like in a short little or like he's talking to Gladriel, and he's he's mentioning that, and I, I was like, I didn't think that was a thing. Now, I don't even think it's possible because if an elf, um. The, the twice that it's happened that an elf has fallen in love with a human, they had to give up their elvenness along with their immortality um, to be even to be in love with the human. So, no, I I, I don't think it's even possible. Okay, that, that's, that's what I thought. That does not track. So I was I was it, it just like instantly when they said it, and they said it a couple times, and I was just like, what? Uh, yeah, I I it, it, if it is, I don't remember it, but that. It doesn't even make sense to me. Well, and it was like, I remember um, last year when Amazon brought out the Wheel of Time uh, show. I kind of went into watching that because I was like, okay, let's see what Amazon does to fantasy to like figure out how they would interpret it. Because I was like, well, they're doing this and they're doing Lord of the Rings. Maybe it'll give me a good uh, judge on either one. I, I like the Wheel of Time better. Like, I'm more hype for its second season than seeing anything else from this. See, I lost um lost interest in that show and i, I mean, watched I, I watched most of the first season and finally i was like nothing's happening i just don't care yeah i i'm i'm definitely it's definitely a mediocre show like it's not great but i'm it was still more interesting than this wow wow now lyle i take it you disagree with the basic tenet that it wasn't a very good show i mean i enjoyed it that doesn't mean it was good okay 
Yeah. Okay. You enjoyed it. What was it you liked about it? Can I can I jump in real quick because it sounds like Lyle's thinking. Yeah. When I bought my Miata, I bought the second gen car, the NV Miata, and I was trying to decide. Uh, you know, do I want to go looking for an NA, a first gen, or an NB, a second gen? And I asked on the forum, and I searched on it, and a very, very consistent answer, not only that I got, but that had been given to a lot, a lot of people, was that the NB was a better car, but the NA was a better Miata. And it sounds like this might be a good show, it's just not very good Tolkien. And those of us who have gone in, excluding myself, I haven't gone in, but it sounds like people going in expecting Tolkien are very disappointed, but people who maybe Lyle doesn't sound like a Tolkien fan, so he liked the show. Maybe it's a good show, aside from putting Tolkien's name on it. I, I respect the things that Tolkien has done. I do not actually enjoy reading it. And I feel like this gets... it. I guess the thing that it feels like is it makes a lot of the early world building he does in books that are not super approachable to people who don't particularly care for his style more approachable. So it's it's more time to be in the space without having to deal with his writing style that I don't really care for. Well, that's sounds, fair enough. That is fair enough to me. Yeah, it took the part that the general public, who who's not, you know, maybe the, the Tolkien fans, and brought it more of like a, a, a D&D type of exposure or, or accessibility, maybe, maybe like one D&D type of accessibility. Ah, uh, I see what you did. This is mainly just for me to ask Lyle. I, I literally put this on here just to ask Lyle a question. Um, okay, ask. Do you feel like everything that anybody brings up about 1D&D is just like apocalypse-level scenarios? Honestly, I have not paid a ton of attention to the things that the community have said. Could you uh, just explain 1D&D? I'm not familiar with it. So, apparently, uh, Wizards of the Coast has decided that um, they were working on sort of the, the successor to 5e, whether that would be 5.5 or 6. Um, and th they've made the decision in their infinite wisdom that we're no longer doing versions of D&D. The next version will be the only version of D&D that will move forward. Like, we're D just going to have... D&D is going to be a rolling release. Essentially. Okay, um, all right. Which, I mean, sure, that's going to last, totally. Uh, and I don't think anybody. I mean, buys. it will until we get two D and D. Exactly. Um, <laughs> One I mean, D and D two point We already have another D and D. It's called Pathfinder. Um, but anyways, <laughs> so that that was that's sort of the thing. But they're the way that they've released it is that this rule set will be sort of very heavily tied. Not 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 necessary. Like you don't have to use this, but they're building an interactive. Uh, like virtual tabletop and that it will be the releases will be pretty much considered digital first and but there will still be print releases but really they're hoping that they can lock you into their their system and sell you their things on their system which whatever as long as you print the rule books i'm fine like i i don't have to use that stuff um, but it seems like the, the, the talk around it from like D and D people is like, this is the end. It's going to ruin D and D it's and um, a, um, all those D and D versions that you had still exist. Like, trust me, I, I still love second edition AD and D like that's my favorite still, uh, <laughs> it's still out there. I can still play it, but it's just, uh, it, it just seemed like kind of gross. Like, I mean, I admit like the marketing for this, um, it's not great. 
right? And 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 tying it to to that thing and making it digital first. That's not what I prefer. But as long as they're doing the other, I don't understand why people have such a big problem with it. Which is funny because the the digital stuff is how my D and D group engages, even when we're all in the same room, which is not very often. And I think that that's that's going to be a generational thing because there is a lot of people who started D and D where virtual was sort of the the primary uh, to where me that was always secondary. Uh, it, it is becoming more primary, but I still prefer sitting at a table. Like I still like it better that way, and I think that i mean wizards of the coast has to make money and they they see the trends and they're doing they're doing what they're going to do business going to business right um but i it, it just like i said it just seemed super negative <laughs> for, for a thing and it's like I, it's sort of my complaint with like most of the D th- thing recently is like it's all about new support and new products and all this stuff and i feel like that that's not what it's about I mean, they're going to constantly keep printing new books so they have new things to sell people. That's that's just going to be how it's going to be. Right. And I mean, fair point. I'm not buying the new stuff. Like, I still haven't played 5e. And it's been out for how long? Like, because the groups I play with, when I do play, that's they're not interested in 5e. And case in point, I love Dragonlance. I love everything about Dragonlance. I love the novels, despite the fact that they're not great. I still love them. Um... They're coming out with the new Dragonlance st- stuff for Five E. I'm not going to buy it because I have the stuff from you know Second Edition. I, I I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, so I mean, I think that they're smart to market to the new people um, more than me because I'm not the person buying things. But um, I don't know. It's just it's it's this weird like there's two sets of fans. Well, and I, to echo your point and a bunch of other people I've talked to's point, they keep saying, "Hey, guess what?" You don't like one D and D? They aren't coming and taking your five e books or your four e books or your three point five or your three point or your two point or whatever other books. They're not going to show up at your house and take them. You can keep using those. And you would think the D and D community would know this because everybody skipped four e because it was not good. <laughs> like, I played I one four e game and I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. Like, I don't want any part of this. So. I don't know if it's that like most of the God, I'm going to throw up in my own mouth saying this, like influencers for D and D are all just newer players. It didn't, it didn't go through that or what? It just seems like there's this huge disconnect between the reality of this game and, you know, or it's just, you know, there has to be a rage machine for content to monetize. Well, I think, I think both of those things, um, most of the big movers and shakers community wise in D and D are much closer to my age. And so they're probably most familiar with five E or, or only familiar with five E. And so that is D and D to them, but also, yes, they need the internet rage machine. So the people keep talking about it. Yeah, that's gross. I don't like it. Well, I, I think, um, I've felt that there were, there was a separation and it, it is somewhat generational. um, in the fandom of not just D&D, but D&D is the... Yeah, we'll stick with D&D because it is the most obvious example of this. But there, you know, the... I mean, as you know, I, you know, I have a long history with role-playing games and I have not been playing D&D in a very, very long time. But I played way back in the day and I played for a long time. And there is a... 
there does seem to be a focus on other fans, right? And I think it has to do, ultimately, it has to do with selling product. Um, you know, because the older fans generally don't want the latest and greatest. They want to stick with their established campaigns that they've been playing for 15, 20 years. And they don't need the, you know, the new versions of things. They don't need all of the modules for things. Some of them will buy it anyway because they're collectors and they got to have it all. But most of the people who have been playing for a very long time, A, they're going to be older and B, they have little interest in any of the new products, the new shiny, shiny. They're not captivated by that. So from a business standpoint, you wouldn't focus on them at all. You're going to focus on people that do want the new stuff. And there's always a new generation coming up. So there's always somebody to try to sell to. So I doubt one D&D is going to be the last word in D&D by any means. No. But yeah, but um, I have not felt like, you know, they've been including me or been reaching me in any mean meaningful way in a very long time. But that's not them. I, I, I think it's it is a generational thing. I think, you know, they're it's not you know, th this isn't a public service. They're they're. You know, they're a business and they're trying to make money and, you know, they're not in the business of supplying free stuff and making money from that. You know, they, you know, they have to make money with new product and you can't, there's only so many times you can repackage the old stuff. So, you know, coming up with whole new versions of a game. Personally, I think a rolling release is the way to go. I mean, that's essentially what I do with the Star, Star Drifter role-playing game. You know, that's yeah, every new edition is based on the one previous. I'm not scrapping everything and building it up from from the ground up. Um, I think a rolling release is a great idea, but I don't see how they're going to continue to sell product that way. As a complete outsider, um, this my opinion probably means nothing at all and is probably stupid. But it would seem to me if you wanted to keep the older uh, generation engaged, and still bring in new people you wouldn't pull the rule set out and rewrite it you wouldn't you wouldn't pull the rug out from everybody you just keep making more monster compendiums and or, or monster manuals whatever it is just as long as the monsters are cool i'm gonna keep reading that and i don't even play D D or or make new you know dungeon scenarios or or you know more more story i mean people are role-playing because they want to play roles Give them roles so, to play, not 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 redesign how they play. So, so you're saying what they should do is they should make more dungeons and more dragons? Fuck yeah! <laughs> I, you know, honestly, in their place, considering you know the kind of fractured um, audience that they have, or, or or fan base, or customer base that they have, um, I think that they should be going for story and content, and then just tweaking it for the individual games so that they, you know, they do a survey, they, they do their research and find out how many people are still playing this version. How many are playing this version of the game? How many play, you know, how many are doing, how many are playing, you know, um, D and D four, you know, cause there are still some, believe it or not. Um, how many are playing five? And, and then at that point, you come out with okay, we're going to be doing a new Dragonlance. All right, we're 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 you know it's going to be it's based in the same world, but it's going to be all new stuff. And then you come out with the same stories. 
you have the same characters, but you come out with an edition for, you know, second edition rules, third edition, fourth, fifth, right? You tweak them, so not everybody's going to have the exact same experience, obviously, but the stories are something you're selling to the entire fan base. Your entire customer base is going to be into this thing. They can all play it and they all have a reason to because they don't have to adapt it themselves if they want to do it. They, you know, the, it's already been done for them, you know, and that would so, honestly would not be hard. They could absolutely do that. So to summarize what you just said, and I'm going to quote one of the great men in history, you're saying more dungeons and more dragons. <laughs> well, and what's wrong with that? I mean, I think, um, regardless of whether like it's a good business decision, I actually think that making a, a rolling release makes sense and basing it off of 5e makes sense because I feel like, um, and this isn't firsthand experience because I still haven't played it. I feel like people I know who are new love 5e people who were into like three, three, five really like 5e because it's simplified it, right? Cause three, three, five was crunchy. This is a little less crunchy, but still has the detail. Um, I know people who like first edition, second edition that like 5e. Like, I think there's this, this consensus that like 5e is a really good balanced rule system to move forward on. So it, it makes sense to use that as the new core for, for me. It, I, I understand that. Yeah. And I mean, what I found is the people who really like the crunch aren't, aren't playing D and D anyway, because it's not crunchy enough for them. Yeah. They, they moved to Pathfinder a long time ago. Yes. The, one well, of the two gaming group, one of the two gaming groups I've played with has done that exact thing. It, you know, if you were playing old school D&D, &D, there's a lot of crunch in uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. That um, that was very crunchy in its day, but it's also, you know, it is quite dated. But um, I think, yeah, I think a rolling release probably makes the best sense. But I also think they are going to lose a good portion of their customer base. Because, you know, people aren't going to care about that any more than they cared you know about any of the other editions that they themselves aren't playing you know i played with people who had to have everything you know they they had to buy it all and i guess that's good if if you can do it but i was never able to do that and that you know as a result i guess perhaps my perspective is a little skewed even though i i have a lot of of hindsight to to pull from my perspective is a little skewed because i was never a good customer you know, I bought the basic books and that was it. I never bought the dungeons. I never bought any of that stuff. And well, what about you know, the dragons? It, yeah. Yeah. You stick them in there. You can't you can't put it on top. If you put it on top that, you know, it's a spoiler. It gives it away. So oh, okay. but um, but did you I, buy the dragons? No, I didn't buy it. <laughs> Actually, I stole a lot of that stuff that I did have, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but um, the. uh the fact is that I, I don't, I haven't felt like I've been included in uh, the gaming space very much. But I have to admit, I haven't made a huge effort to include myself in it. You know, um, I would love to play more than I do, and I don't play much. And the last amount of stuff that I have done is my own role playing game. But in a way, that's also typical of my experience as a gamer because. Almost everything that I ever did was something I created myself. And it, that it was for practical reasons. I couldn't afford a lot of the stuff that everybody else was doing. But on top of that, you know, you get the creative bug. You you see a story and it 
an idea comes to mind and you want to do it yourself. So um, I may not be the typical old graybeard D&D player, um, but I, you know, I just haven't felt like I've been really included myself or compelled. That's a better way to put it. I haven't been compelled to really participate in the latest amount of D&D. And I have 5e. I have a copy of the um, the player's handbook and the DM's guide, and I've read through them. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's a good system. It's one that's very unfamiliar to me. It looks very alien to me, but that's a lot of that's just window dressing. Um, I don't know. It It's weird, but it doesn't grab me, and I don't, I can't really explain it, but maybe it's because I'm not super involved. I'm not in somebody's game. I'm not part of the game, you know? I don't know. I don't know. On that front, Lyle, what is Obsidian and plugins for TTRPG setup? Well, Obsidian is a Markdown-based... Trying to trying to think think about how to describe it, I think they consider it like a knowledge management system, personal wiki type tool, but all driven by Markdown. And then people have written all kinds of plugins, and one that I've started to get involved in is one that's specifically called RPG Manager. Have you so, used it yourself for your games? I am working on moving my current game into it because it's just a very convenient way to structure my notes about the games so that I actually take notes and can remember someone's name when my players ask about them six months from now. But I, it's a tool I use for my, all my personal note taking now and all my work note taking. Um, it's got some plugins that allow you to do more data driven stuff. Um, like I have all my tasks, all my notes, all my calendar stuff, all driven through this for work so that I can actually maybe stay organized. I mean, it, it, it's, Staying organized is already a Herculean effort for me. So realistically, anything that helps is huge. Oh, you just reminded me of something. Thank you. Speaking of huge, what do you say about an interpition? I say yes, please. Take us out loud. Let's all go to the bathroom. Let's all go to the bathroom. you were right lost in bronx that was big well i'm happy everything came out all right indeed so lost in bronx you've got a talk excuse me you've got a topic on here that is of um specific personal interest to myself um the older i get um and it's ergonomics and um that that just what do you got well um yeah it is age related i guess um as i get older uh but when i was younger i never paid attention to it never felt i needed to you know i worked um when i worked at a computer or before that at a, at a typewriter i you know sat uh, in uh uncomfortable chairs i sat in you know at bad angles i i didn't care and i worked for hours and hours and hours at it because i was young and i could um well working on the audio for uh all he surveys um and 
trying to do the editing on that has uh, shown a different light on my uh, bad habits. Um, quite frankly, what happened, what brought it all about is I'm working, I'm doing all that editing from the desk that I'm sitting at right now. And prior to, uh, I think it was chapter two is when it really, really came out. So it was only two, you know, it was only two chapters in on the audio work um, that my right wrist, and I'm a right-handed guy, um, my right wrist started acting up, right? It started hurting, and it was hurting even when I wasn't working with it. And the coordination I had with my thumb, my index finger, and my middle finger was reduced. My, my coordination and strength, right? And those were related to the wrist issue. Um, and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't Wait. figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. What was causing it? Because it, it came out, it seemed, in my mind, it came out of nowhere. Having I'm sorry, to do go with, ahead. You said having to do with recording? I, I... No, no. The editing. The editing process. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Did I say recording? I meant editing, if I said recording. No, I might have um, I think I missed it. I'm sorry. So, um, the editing process, as I do it, is very mouse-intensive. Um, there's a great deal of, like... Everybody works differently, and the way I work is I work with a program called OSINT Audio, and it's a, a very simplified sort of um, eh, kind of a um, it, it can record and it can do some stuff, but it's very simplified, uh, and that's what I want because I want something just for doing what I call cutting audio, and that is cleaning it up, cleaning up the audio that I recorded, you know, editing. And that sort of work I do on a very simple, um, with a very simple tool because it is a simple process by and large. It's cutting and removing, cutting and removing, you know, uh, injecting some silence just to pad out timing of a sentence. All of that stuff is very labor intensive for me yep, because I'm it. not. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I have to do a buttload of it for my stuff because I'm not a very good reader. You know, I can I consider myself a halfway decent actor, but I don't consider myself a good reader. I'm a ter I'm pretty rotten actually. Um, I don't have one of those great voices like you do, Pokey. You know, if I could rip your vocal cords out and stick them in my my throat, I would. If but, I could get more content out of you, I'd give them to you. <laughs> um, you have a a fabulous voice, right? And I would give anything to have that voice. But I have the voice I have. And I do what I can with my stories. But that means a lot of cleanup on the other end. And that meant, specifically for this conversation, I was sitting at this desk. Now, this is not a modern desk. This is actually an antique school desk. Um, it has wrought iron legs, uh, a hardwood uh, body with a lid that opens, and it actually has an inkwell. I don't use the inkwell, but I have one. Um this thing is not meant for any kind of modern work that you would you would expect to do. Put it on top of that, I was using a folding chair because I, I had been for Ooh. a while. Okay, yeah. See where this is going? I was very low to the sitting lower. Let's put it this way. I was sitting lower than I am right now. And the end, the net result of that was that my wrist was leaning against the edge of the desk the whole time I was using the mouse. There was hard pressure on hardwood for hours and hours and hours while I was using that mouse. So no wonder I 
I can't yeah. even use one of the mouse pads with the cushion at the end of it. I can't even use that. That okay. amount of pressure gives me that that RSI type shooting pain through my wrist and hand. Well, I, I can had relate. to buy one of those. I had to buy one of those because I wasn't using one of those. I was using hardwood. <laughs> okay. Um, and that caused that caused all this problem, you know, plus probably years of abuse in other ways. Okay. That's a small thing compared to what some people go through, right? But it was enough to, because it's my dominant hand, it was enough to almost derail the entire process. I actually considered giving up doing the audio entirely. But it got better when I got a bigger chair. Imagine that. I, I dragged over one of my, you know, the chair I usually had. And it's higher and it felt a lot better. Um, eventually, I got a uh, mouse pad with a gel pad because that felt better than you know because even without that my wrist kept going down it kept going down and touching the wood and holding on the wood um then at lyle's suggestion i don't know if he's aware of this but at lyle's suggestion i picked a vertical mouse and that has helped as well so i'm more or less back in the game not at the same pace i was but at least i'm able to continue working um the lesson here is that ergonomics, it seems like it's not a big deal until it is. And um, yeah. it's hard It's hard to really, um, it's hard to really explain it to someone who hasn't been injured in some way due to, well, frankly, poor habits. Or, you know, I say poor habits, it, it could also be, you know, you. this is your job. This is what you do every day. And you don't have a choice. That's a possibility, I suppose. But um, well, yeah, that's why they the, call uh, it repetitive stress injury. Of course, of course. Now, I don't know specifically the injury that I had could be considered like carpal tunnel, but it is a repetitive injury, right? It's definitely something caused by the For fact sure. that I was doing the same actions over and over and over and over and over. Even now with the mouse. I can go a couple hours, but then that's it. That's it for the day. I can't do anymore, you know? So things are slower. And sometimes I have to ice my wrist, and that helps too. Um, there are a lot of things. And I was wondering what you guys specifically have done for ergonomics over the years for yourselves. And what, what you have ha either had to do because of problems you've had or, you know, things you anticipated and went forward with. Like, does anybody have um an ergonomic keyboard i i don't and i can't imagine being able to use one but um does anybody have one and and how does that help you yes um how it helps me i don't i didn't do it for well i did actually um uh keyboards where my hands are like a normal keyboard where your hands are close together that has always bothered me so i have a split keyboard that I built to where, you know, I can, I can literally, I have my hands basically at shoulder width apart all the time. Um, and then they have, I made little ramps to like put my wrist on to make the, the level right. And I can type forever, but I don't type as much as like most techie people do. Um, so I, I, it just feels good to me. I didn't have any problems that prompted me to do that. It just felt better. Oh, don't bullshit us. You built a keyboard so you could build a keyboard. Yeah, but I can build any kind of keyboard I want. I built this one because I wanted that 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 spacing because it just feels more natural. I can tell you firsthand, Lost in Bronx, I gave up on mice, um, I don't know, five, 
five years ago, maybe. Um, I, I, I don't use a mouse anymore. I can't use one. I tried one the other day for some precision stuff I was trying to do. And my wrist and hand were screaming at me in 15 or 20 minutes. So I don't use them anymore. I, I use a, um, a, a thumb ball mouse. It's still, I guess, a mouse, but you know, it's got, it's got a ball that you roll around with your thumb and I, that gives me no pain. A trackball. Is it like a trackball? Uh, a trackball, I think you use your whole hand to manipulate the ball. This, you just use your thumb specifically, and the rest of it feels just like a mouse. But you're not moving your wrist. You're not moving your whole arm. It's it's only your thumb that's doing the motion. Yeah, and I've the rest seen those it is, where it's basically a mouse-shaped thing, but where the thumb button would be is a, is a ball that you move, much like you would move the mouse. Yes, and the rest of it, it's also, it's not just shaped like a mouse. It's shaped like a really big mouse. It's shaped like a mouse that's the size of a human hand. That was my biggest problem with mice is that I would use my thumb and my pinky finger to hold it for the, the side to side motions and that and they're too small for my hand and that pinching between my thumb and pinky, that's not natural. And that would that kills me. Absolutely kills me. I'll, I'll, the one I have is it's a Logitech. It's a pretty standard one. I have to say that the combination of my vertical mouse and the the mouse pad with the the gel pad to me. But that's a good thing. I'm constantly readjusting where my we're in the same spot twice. And I think ultimately that's a good thing, um, most likely. And it doesn't I mean, I can't say that it slowed me down, so yeah, you know, I wouldn't put any blame on the equipment for for any lack of of um you know ability at this point. But it it's definitely I I'm actually happy I've done it. I was I was really unsure about the mouse because it felt very weird. Frankly it still does. But it it I think it's helped. I really do think it's helped this combination. So I'm I'm pretty happy table uh maybe no table at all um maybe something else i don't even know i don't even know i i, I read an article recently on gemini that a system after a lot of of you know learn you know school of hard knocks he's got himself a very comfortable piece of living room furniture and a um a monitor that swings down from the wall on a big long arm and just a, you know, a rolling table that comes over that he works on. He doesn't even have anything close to him that, you know, for reaching for like his drinks or anything like that. He's just there to do his work. And that is it. Um, that wouldn't work for me necessarily. But uh, I was real that I was really interested in the, the chair that he chose because it's absolute it's absolutely not you know, a piece of office furniture that's supposedly good for you. You know, he, he went with, you know, the exact opposite. He went with something that was absolutely comfortable, absolutely comfortable. And then he adjusted everything else, where the monitor is, where the keyboard was going to lie, all of that stuff. He adjusted all of that to his chair. And I think that's an interesting approach. Yeah, that is kind of, that does sound interesting. We have, um, the height adjustable desks at work, um, th those can make a bit of a difference too. But, and I find with those, uh, when I'm staying, I actually raise them up probably higher than I'm supposed to. And I kind of rest my elbows on them. And again, 
with the ball mouse, I can do that because I'm not moving my hand and arm around when I'm mousing. The, and the, another thing I wonder about Lost in Bronx, um, I've heard people say that video editing is a million times easier with a, a jog wheel, with a good jog wheel. And I, I don't know if your audio editor would support that. I've never done it myself. I've just heard people say that they love them. People I don't know what back. a jog wheel is. Can't confirm. Makes the job so much easier. What is it? So it's basically just a, um, <clears throat> depending on which kind you have. Um, so the one that I am the most familiar with using is there is a sort of a two-tiered ring. Um, there's the face tier that um, moves. I forget which one moves fast and which one moves slow. I, I would do it by feel. I, could, I can't remember. But you can use the rings to zoom around the timeline really fast. Um, and then when you get close, the speed that you turn the wheel is the speed that you go. So you use one to do like real big gross movements across the timeline. And then you use the other one to just sort of scroll along. Um, and so it's it's just a, it's faster than a mouse most of the time. It, because usually I would, um, I would keep one hand on the jog wheel and then our jog wheels had um, like some, some shortcuts you could put on them for like, you know, clip cut, things like that. And I, I would do all that with the left hand. And then my right hand was on uh, the keyboard doing shortcuts. So I, when I did pro audio, I, I very rarely used the mouse to do like audio manipulation. I would sometimes if I had to be like, uh, like do something strange, but most of the time I would use the jog wheel because it was just faster. So it's an interface that only does a vertical like you only it only works vertically like back and forth right um horizontally i would say yeah more horizontal than vertically oh yeah horizontal i'm sorry yeah horizontal it's a it's a it's like the old um paddles for for like breakout games it's just it's just a knob yes. that you turn left and right and my understanding is that a lot of them you can push down you can click that that knob itself it, it has a, a push down function and it may have some buttons on the side as well yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have one anymore. To be completely honest, now that we're talking about it, I kind of want to build one because you can, you can actually buy just the jog wheels, um, and like wire them up to an Arduino that's a USB host and and do that as as a keyboard interface. Um, they, they, yeah, I kind of forgot how awesome they are, but they are they are really handy. I will have to look into that. I don't know if it would help with RSI. To be completely honest, because the the way, well, I don't know if you if you did it to where you could rest your your uh, wrist and do it, which is not the way I did it, but of course I was young. I would just hover over it, and so I was holding my hand in air instead of anything else, which um, probably, I don't know. Maybe I did put my wrist down on the table. You might have to play around with that to, to make it sort of ergonomic, but it would keep you from um, sort of using that right hand as much. If you're not wiggling that wrist around for those minute little tasks, those minute little movements that have to be so precise, Gonna be fun. It's gonna be a lot better if you can use your fingertips for it. Or I just posted one on a little chat that looks like it's got a divot where you can put one finger in it. Um, yes. Yeah, I I would huh. say. Yeah, I just opened that up. That's. I don't even know how that works. It's weird, huh? It looks like I have. I've never heard of this in my life. Not that I, you know, have my finger on the pulse, but it, and it sounds like this has been around a long time, but, huh? All right. Good to know. Yeah, new project for me. I'm going to build one. The, the, I keep bringing up the 
the trackball mouse with the thumb wheel on it, the thumb ball on it. Um, uh, like I said, that allows me to do hours and hours and hours of mousing. I, I never get sore while using it. It never hurts. It is not as good at f super fine motor control stuff as a mouse is, but I, I bet the jog wheel is just as good, if not better. Yeah, I'll have to look into it. As an example, where I learned to hate a regular mouse is doing uh, open street map stuff because you just got to move things around and, and be real precise before you let go of the click button. Um, that's one of the nice things about the ball mouse is you can take your thumb right off the ball and it's not going anywhere. And then you can let go of the, the, the click when you're done, you know, for, for precision movements. But when you're actually moving them using your thumb, it, it takes about two, maybe three weeks to get used to it. It took me about two weeks to get used to this one. I've heard some people say it takes longer. Um, but for precision stuff like that, you kind of have to learn to, you can be more precise. It's just, it's a little more tedious uh, to be as precise as you would be with a mouse. But you, you kind of have to learn to separate the click from the, the motion. With, with a, a regular mouse, you really can't do that. A, a, a regular mouse, if I go back to a regular mouse from this, it feels more like using a touchpad where the click and the, the motion are the same thing. Well, I'm willing to try new things for a change. Um... This has, uh, I don't know if this was a come to Jesus moment, but it was definitely a, um, it was definitely something that I, I honestly didn't seriously consider until it happened. And I'm thinking that probably moving forward, I should adjust my, you know, other aspects of my work environment to, um, to fit my use case, you know? This is the, the editing the audio is overwhelmingly the most intensive stuff I've ever done on a computer when it comes to, you know, physical interaction. Um, I'm not a big gamer. Now, I think, you know, some some types of games and some gamers are probably, you know, they're I don't I, ha I don't know about this, but I would imagine that there is some ergonomic issues cropping up due to people that are are big into like FPSs and things like that. But I, I would, for me anyway, this was, this was, um, definitely the result of the way I was sitting and a lifetime of ignoring the potential for problems to occur. Um, I, I think that, you know, if, if anyone listening to this who was young enough and they haven't felt any of these problems, it would probably behoove them to start thinking in terms of avoiding them in the future. It wouldn't be a bad idea to start looking at what you do for an extended period of time in front of a computer and start adjusting those things to make it a little bit hard, you know, a little bit easier, I should say, for you to work. Um, even if you think it, it all works just fine, it's absolutely worth, you know, in the end, if you can avoid what I'm going through that almost derailed a, a major project. Um, I think it would absolutely be worth your time to think about it now and get ahead of it. I can take that up a notch. I'm pretty sure the reason that I had a herniated disc in my back was years of bad posture. Um, and so it's not always entirely about comfort because, uh, you know, maybe the bad posture is a little more comfortable at the, in the moment. Um, but believe me, a herniated disc um, 
and mine exploded. I can tell you what a herniated disc feels like. Um, you, you don't want it and you're never the same after it. And, and the fix um, for that is, is so much worse than if I had known. Uh, Lost in Bronx is absolutely right. As a young man, I would have just had better posture. Well, and that's a fact. Even something as minor, relatively minor, as the injury that I gave myself doing this work, um, I don't think it's going away. I honestly don't think it's ever going to go away. I might learn to live with it and get around it and maybe, you know, find ways to do things almost as well as I used to. But this is with me. You know, I'm not getting any younger. You know, I think I'm older than any of you three guys. And I, I don't, I don't see this just healing up on its own. It won't, you know, okay, that's fine. That's on me. I did do it to myself. And it was through carelessness, ultimately carelessness. But I, I do believe that if I had a, a tiny bit of foresight, it just, a, just a moment's thought, you know, maybe 10 years ago, uh, 12, well, what, you know, how long, maybe about 13, 14 years ago when I started doing audio and I started, you know, adjusting the way I worked at that point, this would never have happened. So, um, I, yeah. I'm going to disagree with you, Lost in the Bronx. I don't think it's there to stay because mine, I thought was there to stay. And, and when I swapped mice, it, it went away and went away pretty quickly. I had another wrist injury on my left side. Um, <laughs> I, I bought a motorcycle that had a fairly heavy clutch on it and I rode it home and I took the long way home and 45 minutes of riding with my clutch in the wrong position, like at the wrong height, uh, being a heavy clutch, that took about a year, year and a half to heal up completely to where it wasn't bothering me. And I had to wear like an ace bandage on my wrist anytime I rode any motorcycle um, for that whole time. That, that took forever to heal up on the left side. But the mouse hand cramp and the wrist cramp that, I mean, it's in that carpal tunnel area. Maybe it's not the exact same thing you got, but that cleared itself up as soon as I stopped mousing around with, you know, wrist motion mice. You, you might be uh, giving up too soon on this. I don't, I don't know. Well, maybe, and I hope so. Um, yeah, me too. But this is more than just a mouse problem, right? You okay. know, I, I've lost control. I've lost, you know, there is motor control loss in these three fingers that I, I, you know, can track and see every single day outside of a mouse environment. You know, when I'm cutting things, oh, I'm weak in that hand now. Um, I drop things that I'm, I'm holding in that hand like four or five times more than I ever used to. And I was never coordinated. Well, fair enough. Um, but if it's, if it's the mouse you know, that I caused can't open it. jar. I, I can't open jars anymore the way yeah. I used to. I had had an incredible struggle today. And this is from a month ago, okay, a month and a half ago, however long it was, right? It's not because, you know, like, oh, I'm an old man and I can't do what I used to. From, like, very recent history, This these things have happened. I hope I'm wrong. Once again, I hope I'm wrong. Very much so. But this is what I'm seeing now. I would love to have some physical therapy. But that sort of stuff isn't super available around here. So I'm kind of stuck with babying it. Yeah, well, again, if it's if it's the mouse that caused it, you know, I, I strongly recommend alternatives to mice. Well, the vertical has helped a lot. It, it has helped a lot because it, although my, my wrist does fall on the, the gel pad, the weirdest thing is the gel pad is kind of small, uh, the pad part. 
you know, that the mouse runs on. Um, and the mouse is kind of big, and that results with me having to readjust my hand all the time to try to fit it to make it actually do what I want it to do. Yes, which means I, I had a lot of pain using a vertical mouse for the same reason. My point here, though, is that because I have to constantly readjust, my wrist is never in the same position for very long. I'm constantly moving it, whereas before I wasn't. And that may have been the real, you know, killer issue with it. Maybe. I, I tried several vertical mice before I landed on the, the ball mouse. And my biggest, now that I'm thinking about it, my biggest problem with them, and, and it did contribute to the physical pain of them, is that to click, you're pushing the thing in one of its axis of movement. So you have to push back um, with your thumb anytime you go to click with a button and and it just affects the position of the thing and it, it made it very difficult to again to do fine motor control and I think I was you know flexing muscles that don't need to be used um, but they did to use that kind of mouse that that it, it those bothered me not quite as quickly as a as a standard mouse did but they still bothered me and I, I thought they were much more difficult to do that the, the fine motor control um which is where i would get the, the the stress part of the repetitive stress injury was was that sort of um uh subconscious clenching of of the the wrist muscles and the the thumb and the palm i can see that i i do that myself but it's a different movement than the regular mouse and as a result, yeah. I'm not using, yeah, I, I can see where that could cause problems and it may yet cause me problems. It hasn't yet, but it, it's possible that it could. Um, but because it's not doing the same thing that injured me, it's feeling better than the last mouse I had. Is this as good as it gets? Well, maybe not. You know, maybe I, I do need to look at something new. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, this isn't the be-all, end-all by any means. And that's really why I wanted to talk about this, is that, you know, this is an evolving issue. If there is a chance for this wrist to come back, it's got to be through taking care of it. And I don't know what that looks like just yet. It may not be a vertical mouse. It may not be a gel pad on my mouse pad. You know, it may be something that doesn't need a pad. You know, I don't know what that is. I so. got a lot of um, pain relief out of just an ACE wrist bandage. It, it was not even an adjustable thing. It was just sort of a little sleeve, a little cuff that I would put over my wrist and sort of maybe a third of the way up my palm. Um, and just that little bit of pressure, I got a tremendous amount of relief from that. I'm actually doing that right now. Um, uh, my wife picked up these. Uh, they're just basically elastic. Um wrist and thumb it's weird it's like yeah. um it's like a, a wrist thing but it stretches over the thumb as well there's a hole for the thumb and um that helps i wear it throughout the day a lot of times it does help yeah mine didn't have the thumb hole but it was it was incredible how much of a difference it made it's not night and day for me personally but it helps you know uh by wearing it while i'm working at the end of a work session I don't feel like I'm in pain. It just feels like, okay, I know I worked. It's like you worked your wrist out, like you were, you know, doing, yeah. you know, that's how it feels. That's an improvement. 
and you know i i feel like that's you know that's a good thing um but there's you know that we're talking about bouncing back from an injury but really what i wanted to talk about is ways to prevent it right um now there's one thing that i have been feeling and ha probably the last three books that i've worked on including shorts you know the audio short stories in between for star drifter um and for you know moses arizona and for eddie k all the stuff that i've done i feel a neck problem when i'm working and part of that maybe because of the height of the uh, monitor i don't know but i want to figure that out because i don't think that i should be in pain from that that's oftentimes the thing that teaches, you know, that tells me it's time to end your session because my neck hurts so much. In the meantime, what other damage am I doing to myself? So um, there are still, I still have a long way to go trying to get my setup so that I can work. And, you know, I, I, I don't work as long as a lot of people do, right? Some people will work work at a particular thing for eight hours or more, right? I don't do that. And I never did. Well, sometimes I do, but most of the time I, I'm working intensely for a short period. Well, a couple of hours, a couple of hours. And while I'm working, it's very intense. The world disappears. Right. And I, you know, I'm doing a couple thousand mouse clicks per session and that adds up after a time, you know, and I find myself leaning into the screen. No matter how many times I pull myself back, I'm leaning into the screen. I do the same. I lean in. I don't mean to. Yeah. And I feel what? it in my neck. So the I neck need pain, to adjust I, things. Yeah, I get a lot of neck pain, too. Um, it, again, posture is, is probably the number one thing. But um, something I do that relieves neck pain is just sort of grab my head and lift it up. Just just around, you know, fingers on the back of my skull and thumb sort of under my chin on both sides and just lift it up and just pull it 20 seconds, 30 seconds at a time. Um, it, it gives a lot of uh, minor immediate relief, but over time it seems to have had uh, quite, a, quite a bit of difference. And when I went and talked to my doctor very recently about my neck pain, he recommended um, tension. Uh, uh, I forget exactly what they call it, but it basically to, to decompress those cervical di that those that, that cervix excuse me that's the um the discs in your neck anyway just yeah, to decompress yeah. them you, you can do an inversion table they make devices that will press down on your shoulders and lift up on your head to to decompress it um and they they recommended one of those to me i, I don't think i'm at the point where i want to spend that kind of money on one of those or, or spend the kind of time um for that device but manually lifting it up with my hands just a few times a day it makes a tremendous amount of difference but here's the thing what is it about my environment that makes me want to lean into this thing right if i sit up straight like good posture my line is actually over my monitor right so my monitor probably needs to be up higher right it, it's, that sound, yeah, seems it seems to make sense like a, to me i lift mine up know, pretty high yeah mine probably could stand to be up another six to eight inches tall Right. I still I'm wind, looking down, even though know? I still wind up leaning in. It's 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 just the the sitting in one place for so long. You you you, you tend to slouch. You tend to lean. You tend to, you know, el elbows on the table type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, probably the very, very best thing I could do is take frequent breaks, you know, 
Um, I mean, aside from, I think I, you know, looking at it, I, I really do need to raise the monitor. It's at its highest notch as it is with the stand, but it, I, I need to put something underneath it. Yeah, um, get some books under it. Try to, yeah, try to yes, look, look like on that. Craigslist for like one of the, the, the uh, height adjustable desks that you can lift the whole thing and stand up and work. Just standing uh, up no. and working for 10, 20 bad, minutes at a time is great. Yeah, I, I have bad feet. I can't be on my feet for like that. But um, the uh, and that's a separate problem. That's from well, no, it's not a separate problem. It's actually this, you know, a very similar problem. But that I got from work, right? That I got from work because I was on my feet for you know many many years. And um, I think that you there, know there are tricks for there that are, too. Yeah, I know, I know. And I'm, my feet are actually better, but that's because I've been taking care of them. You know, if I start standing on them all the time, I, that's not taking care of them. But um, I'm, I'm going to send you a video and see what you think. Not now, have, but I'll, I'll I have keep... very, very flat feet. I have very flat feet. Enough so that a podiatrist who looked at my feet one time, he, he laughed out loud. So I have very flat feet and it just, it beats me up. But um, my point here is just what can, you know, me specifically, but people in general, what, what should we be thinking about when we're designing a work environment where we're going to be spending hours of our life, you know, focused on a particular task so that we can walk away. And this task is not still dogging us, not the job, but the damage we did to ourselves while we were doing the job. You know, I've had jobs like that. It, 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 you know, I'm still paying for it. I have ne my neck problems come from, you know, work I did 30 years ago. It, it, it I don't think that at this stage, of the game, I should be repeating that mistake, but it seems like I haven't learned it yet. Well, if you're, if you, this may not apply to you, but if you're asking what should people do um, to prevent them, to prevent these types of injuries in a standing environment, um, I have those, those pads are one thing, but you sort of sink into them. Um, I have heard, I haven't tried it myself, but it seems to make some sense that if you make like a platform to stand on and I've seen it done with um, they were like half an inch um, by maybe two inch uh, strips of wood that were just laid um, crosswise, you know, from left to right that you'd stand on, but they weren't supported in the middle. They had a lot of flex to them, but each one could flex individually and it kept your feet sort of engaged in standing up in a way that the, the padded, mats don't i am never gonna do that i am just never gonna do that uh, it's fine but you were asking for other people too somebody else might like it. true it that's very true no that's very true this could work very well for some people um yeah there's, there's and, a guy and, you... and for there for some people the standing desk is the answer and i i you know it's that's an alien concept to me but i get that i get that that really could work for some people so you're right yeah you it was good to bring it up. Anyway, that uh, that was kind of a um, rant and a uh, plea for you know general information and for people to look into it and to think a little bit more about it themselves. It really can matter. It really can matter. Rants are kind of our po thing. Pokey, you have a lot of stuff that you bought for camping. I'd like to hear about it. Yes, I did. I bought a, and there are a lot of little things. It didn't add up to a whole lot um, of money, 
and until I added the um, a, a little more of the cordage than I probably needed. Um, yeah, I started watching some some videos. I made my hammock, uh, which is I camp in a hammock. I've talked about that here before. I made my hammock a number of years ago. I don't even remember how long ago I made it. And at the time, it was um, I'll say state of the art for a hobbyist setup for for a DIY setup. Um, and I haven't really looked at them since then because I haven't really had any problems with it. And my only real complaints with my setup has been that I um, sort of have to adjust knots an awful lot, knots that I that I you know kind of put in place and and are sliding knots, and I I would think would you know be fine for next time, but then they're not, and then I got to untie them and retie them and slide them around and make everything fit. Um, and I, I watched a couple of videos, and there's been a couple of big improvements with just a couple of small adjustments over the setup that I have. Um, one of them is at, at the time that I made it, everybody attached their hammock suspension, which is the cordage that connects to the, you need a tree strap. Every, every You have to have a tree strap uh, with, with regular thin cords, you will damage a tree. So you have to have a wide strap so you don't damage the bark of the tree. But then there's cordage that connects the tree strap to the hammock. And that's usually Dyneema. It's a, it's a like a sailing material. It's ultra lightweight, ultra strong. It's a little bit thinner than paracord, but it's about three times stronger than paracord. And it's a hollow braid, so you can make what you call a whoopee sling out of it. And it's kind of like a Chinese finger trap. You pass the cord through itself in one side, down the middle, and then out the side again. And it's like a Chinese finger trap. And it it makes it adjustable, but it makes it very strong and very tight. And there's another one that's called a universal constrictor rope, which works similarly, but the whoopee sling is self-tensioning. So it doesn't slip and universal constrictor rope can slip if you don't keep tension on it. And I thought I could get away with a UCR um, and I, I couldn't, they just, they slipped all the time. So I decided to redo them. I decided to do whoopee slings and in looking at some videos to see the length that people make their whoopee slings. They don't attach the whoopee slings to the hammock anymore. They attach them now to the tree straps and they um, don't use, you used to attach the whoopee sling to the hammock and then a carabiner from the hammock to the tree strap. And you need like a climbing carabiner, but now they flip it around. They attach the whoopee sling to the tree strap and they use a carabiner or what they call a Dutch clip made by a guy whose online handle is Dutch. It could be his real name for all I know, but it's a little tiny um, titanium piece. It's about the size of a quarter and it's enough to hold you up with these, you know, ultra high tech cords. And so that was the first thing I did. I changed out my suspension for that. And the big advantage to flipping it over like that um, for me is, is, they're much smaller than the carabiners to pack it down. But the other big advantage is if you're in a heavy rain, that puts your water break. So if water hits the cordage or the tree strap and is running down that stuff, you need some way to, to break it, to get it to, to fall off the cord and drip down to the ground instead of running into your hammock. And it moves the water break underneath my tarp. So you know, lower than the water break, it's not going to collect more water because it's still outside the tarp. And that's what I was dealing with before. I've, I've never gotten wet in my hammock. Um, not 
from the courts anyway. Uh, one time was a, a different reason, but that's whatever. Um, so that's the big advantage to that. And I decided to try it. And I haven't camped it yet, but I have rebuilt it. And while I was at it, I was looking at um, tarp hardware, tarp improvements, because I mean, this guy's stuff is so lightweight and it's so convenient to use. It just, it eliminates knots. It, it lets you do all kinds of great stuff. So I just bought a, a pile of, a small pile, teeny, teeny little bits and pieces of titanium that I think are going to make a, a big, big difference uh, next year when I go camping. So it's, I'm very happy with it. Make, makes things much more adjustable, but much quicker to set up and much, much smaller to pack down. And if you're, if you're, if you're hiking, if you're carrying stuff on your back, way lighter than the old way of doing stuff. So big improvements. I just opened uh, the links that you had up there. I'm shocked at how inexpensive these these things are. You know, it sounds like they make a huge difference. And there's absolutely no reason not to buy them. I mean, $3 for the, the Dutch hook and uh, the tarp worm is 3 to $9. Uh, probably depends on what the size that you're getting um, um yeah the, the wasp is 10 bucks a cheap one one of those the, i mean the, these are not and this is titanium this is really yeah, these, good bright yeah these, these are, are very titanium, good bright. and as far as i can tell they're water cut and they're tumbled because they're there's no sharp edges on anything they look in the picture anyway they look really smooth and i mean how is he getting them that cheap it's really shocking I, I don't know. They're all made in America, too. The tarp worms, if anything that's got a, a range on the price like that, um, the more expensive ones come with cordage on them. And I didn't buy them that way. I like to do my own cordage just because it's fun. Um, so I bought a big spool of Zingit, which is 1.75 millimeter thick hollow braided Dyneema. It's got a, a breaking strength of like 300 or 350 pounds. It's it's uh, it, I don't it, that's not enough to hold a person that's enough to hold tarps up and stuff and to hold your tie outs it's 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 way overkill for that but you can't go too thin on that kind of thing when you're when you're talking about strengths that high because if you go much thinner than that and you trip on it and it doesn't break it's going to slice you right open so you, you kind of need at least that much um width just just so it's not dangerous on but the it, the wasp he has a right there on that same page he's got the way to to loop it and to you know at least his his version of the way to to um set the the cordage on it it's actually very interesting yeah that's the way you do it he designed it to work that way and it's it's a very nice and the wasp is a an upgrade he had another um bit that he uh i forget what he called it but it worked just as good but it was like a third of the size of the wasp and the advantage of the wasp over that is that it's that that sort of um, the tail of the wasp where the the cord kind of bridges across that bit is big enough to get your finger in so it's much more easy to manipulate the wasp even though it's it's bigger and yet it is still pretty small i mean the the um illustration that he has i mean it's not to scale so it shows the wasp being like larger than the guy's hand but then he's got a photo of it below and it's, you know, hardly bigger than a quarter. It's what very I, interesting. Yeah. What I did today to, to take a picture to demonstrate it for my daughter. Um, and the picture on that quarter is, is not representative of the one that I have because that looks like it's got sharp edges inside the hook part and stuff. 
mine does not. Mine has no sharp edges. It's totally smooth on, on both sides, which it's very impressive. But I laid it on two quarters. I put two quarters next to each other and laid it on top of them. And it's it's just as wide as two quarters. And it's, you know, with the wing tip there, it's almost as tall as two quarters. So it, it's about that size. Whereas the little hook that goes on the end of the tarp ridge line is, is smaller than a dime, like from side to side. It's, it's minuscule. The only, you almost have to put it on the cordage just to get it a, a, a manipulable size. It's very, very cool. See, I love seeing little innovations like this, you know, especially from a, a smaller producer, who, you know, an inventor, you know, who has seen an issue and has thought out, you know, what's a better way to do this? And, you know, it looks like he's really come up with something clever. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just him. He's got pages and pages of stuff that I forget what he calls them, but basically customers go, hey, wouldn't this be a good idea? And he says, yeah, I'll try it. And it winds up being a great idea. And he goes on ahead and sells them. I like that. They're amazing. It's beautiful. That actually, that's beautiful. I like that they're functional, but yet they're also like, they're kind of artsy. Like they're They're very stylish. There's an aesthetic to them that I dig. Like I'm kind of like, oh, that's cute. I like it. Yeah, the, the wasp and the fleas in particular are, are very, very cool looking. And the, the fleas are a little harder to use just because they're so small. Yeah, I mean, you can't, if you look at the pictures of them, it's, it's really difficult to understand just how small they are. Um, but also that cordage, especially the Zingit that, that he sells, and they sell it elsewhere too. It's not his product, um, but he designed it to work with the Zingit it locks into it so hard that it's difficult to undo it without sort of you undo it a different way than you, than you fasten it. There's a separate unfasten. You unhook it from the hook and then you can slide it out from the wing part where it pinches in. Um, but the, the, the fleas as cool as they look, they're, they're minuscule. They're, they're almost hard to manipulate, but they, man, they lock in tight. I, and I bought those and I'm using them, or I plan to use them. I've, I've assembled them. I haven't tried it yet. They'll hold my camp chair. Um, they'll sling it to the grab rail on the back of the motorcycle so that I don't have to tie knots to, to attach that because that's kind of a slow process. And if you don't get it just right, you know, you, 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 the knot could, could loosen up, could slip on you. And I think these will be much better. Yeah, those fleas, the photo, it's smaller than a quarter. It's crazy. Yep. And if you've never played with Zingit, or or Dyneema, the larger sizes of Dyneema, man, try to find some project you can do with it because it's so cool how you use that stuff. It just it it's such it's such slick material and it's so incredibly strong. And just the fact that you you fasten it with like splices instead of knots, it's just it's so much fun to work with. It, it's I just sit around and do it for fun sometimes. I. I, I don't own any, I don't have any of it, but I have heard of it. Um, Jorg Sprava on uh, YouTube, who has the Slingshot channel. Um, yeah, yeah. He's a recent convert to Dyneema. And because uh, he was using Paracord before and it kept breaking on him with all those crazy inventions. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Somebody told him about Dyneema and he's a total convert for it. And he's he's been doing some crazy stuff with it. Yeah, and that's one of the other nice things is is it's not just that splicing it is fun. 
but splicing it maintains the strength of the cordage. And in some cases, it increases the strength of the cordage because you're doubling it up, whereas knots always weaken a, a, any type of cordage. Wherever you put a knot, that's where it's going to break. But yeah, yeah. it's not necessarily true with splicing. Yeah, it's pretty pretty impressive. You know what is really amazing to me is that there are like so many people out there, like yourself, who have gotten into this sort of thing. And it's like you have knowledge that in some ways has been lost since the days of sale, right? That people are now rediscovering for other purposes. And I, I just find it fascinating. Well, that's where this came from. Dyneema um, Cordage was made for sailboats, like racing sailboats. Yeah. Where they need yeah, yeah. the highest strength, the highest stiffness, and the lightest weight they can get. And that's yeah, exactly so you, where it came from. You have a, a very small group of ultra rich people who can own you know racing sailboats but this information and this product is now spread out to a bunch of you know quote unquote ordinary people who are in, very far afield from that you know that i think it's uh i just think it's fascinating yeah i i've learned a lot of my camping tricks from like ultralight hikers i've watched a lot a lot of youtube stuff um, on ultralight hiking and it, with a motorcycle, frankly, I don't care how much it weighs. The bike's doing all the work. It's how small does it pack down to? Um, and, and there are, there are some trade-offs there. Like you can get, like they make sheets of Dyneema fabric, um, like cloth and you can make a tarp out of that. Or, or I don't think you'd want to make a hammock out of it. I think it's not as comfortable as some other stuff, but a Dyneema tarp, does not pack down as small as a sill nylon tarp of the same dimensions. So, you know, that's to me, that's beneficial because a sill nylon tarp might cost you 80 bucks. A di the same di size Dyneema tarp would cost you almost 400. So, you know, I don't need all of the ultralight tricks, but some of them are real handy. Yeah, I imagine. And, and even though it costs, I, I, and I might someday buy a tarp. I, I everything I camp with now I've made myself. I, I, except for the tree straps. I, I bought those from Dutch um, and I bought them years ago and they're still, they're like new. It, the guy's stuff is just super high quality and everything that he sells, um, he'll sell you just the components so you can make it at home yourself. He'll, he'll sell you a, a backpack and a jacket or he'll sell you the fabric and the buckles and the straps that he makes that out of if you prefer to do it yourself. That's really cool. Small independent business people who are doing cool, cool stuff, man. That's where it's at. Word. Yeah, and he's grown. He's got employees. He's got a bunch of people working for him. It's it, it started out when I bought my hammock straps. I'm pretty sure it was just him and his wife, and his wife was doing the sewing. But now he's got at least four employees that I'm aware of because I've seen them on his videos. That's great, though. That's great. I mean, you see, and this, you know, it, it shows that his business is thriving, that, you know, he has a dedicated customer base, you know, people have recognized what he's doing. Uh, you know, that's, it's just really good to see, you know, because, you know, most people, their first instinct will be to open up Amazon and look for something that's going to solve these problems for them, right? And, you know, here's something that, you know, a, a small businessman and yet now you know now amazon is set up so that he could sell his stuff through them if he wanted to um but the fact that it's a it's it's you know 
a small independent businessman with a small business. Yes, he's got employees, but a small business is producing, you know, he's he's pushing the hobby forward. He's pushing the technology forward, you know, on his own. I mean, I, how could you not love that? That's amazing. Yeah. And to be honest with you, you just described me when when I wanted to rebuild my hammock suspension because I didn't like the the UCRs anymore and I wanted to go back to whoopee slings. Um, I didn't know that he was selling all this stuff. When I bought from him, it was just the tree straps. It, it, maybe he had more than that, but I didn't remember there being more than just the tree strap. So I did go to Amazon looking for Dyneema and all I could find was, um, I'm going to get the, the, I'm not going to remember the, the dimensions of it. All I could find was one size thicker than the stuff that I had been using. Um, and it's terrible for hammocks. It's <laughs> it's awful. It's too thick. It sticks to itself. It's too hard to manipulate. And if I had just known that he was there, um, the stuff he has is in the right size. It costs uh, a less, like 25% less. And it's the right size and it works. So I, I wish I had not thought to go to Amazon for the solution. Well, there you go. If uh, someone hearing this, you know, is interested in any of this kind of stuff, they, you know, there are links going with this uh, episode that uh, you're encouraged to try. Yeah. And, and, you know, almost full circle. The reason I went to a hammock in the first place is because it's more ergonomic. Sleeping on the ground in a tent was destroying my back. I would wake up, not be able to stand up. Not good for jumping on a bike, you know, an hour later or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 300 miles from home and I can't get off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be an awkward phone call. Okay. Um, one quick thing, if I can bring it back to a topic that I, I came to uh, the show with. Um, have you guys, did any of you get a chance to look at uh, the video uh, on the topic of retinals that I put up? Um, it's pretty impressive. It's so impressive. Uh, it makes me think it's a scam. But essentially, these guys have built contact lenses that act as augmented reality lenses. And that includes batteries that are built into this thing. It's, you know, um, and a uh, user interface that uh, is built into this thing. It's really, it's almost magic. And it's hard for me to believe that it's real. But uh, there is a link there uh, for a YouTube video. And they're, you know, they're still working on it. It's still, they're still prototyping. But it's, it's pretty impressive if it's real. As long as the battery is included in this thing, I'm never going to try it. I will never put one of these batteries on my eye. I've seen those batteries <laughs> go up before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that thought came to me too. But um, I don't know. I mean, if they could miniaturize, I mean, they miniaturized everything uh, except for the lens. The lens was already there. And they are using an off-the-shelf type of lens. Um, hard, I think it's a hard lens. No, I, I take that back. I'm, I'm doing this from memory, but it wasn't. It's a type of lens that they can embed all of the electronics into the lens itself. It's a plastic lens. It's pretty freaking amazing. You know, th this is something they got, you know, it's got um, uh, uh, Bluetooth connect connectivity with your phone, I think. It's it's crazy. They have a lot of plans for it at any rate. It's, it's um, I don't know. It just seems impossible. But then... You know, I write about stuff like this and I imagine how it could work and this is how it could possibly work. 
I don't know. When I saw this, I was like, this is cool, but I feel like probably for the last 10 years, like DOD has had something like this. <laughs> like, this is one of those things that they make and they're like, yeah, we're not giving that to anybody yet because it's too cool. Let me tell you a story. Okay. Back in the 70s, I saw, uh, I used to, li I lived, I grew up in Connecticut and I was, I was at home and a news story came on, uh, evening news, and it was one of the tech companies out there that were not known for this sort of sort of work they were known for it was like pratt and whitney or somebody like that um they displayed a stand uh, a, they displayed a standing three-dimensional holographic image that projected from it came from the front right so you could walk around this thing you could look at it from the top you could look at it from the side you could look at it from everywhere except the front, okay? Because that's where it was being projected from. Um, it was a big, it, the, the machine itself was big, but this was on the news. It had a group of people around it and they were demonstrating this thing. It showed up once and then it vanished and there was never a mention of this thing again. The company that made it, they were military contractors and I am positive <laughs> that the militaries had standing, you know, um, holograms likes from star wars for the last 30 or 40 years i'm positive of it all right and we have yet to see it because you know it probably has a great deal of military you know application but this this thing was real and it did exist and we've yet to catch up with it they have shit that they don't talk about <laughs> that we will you know we're not going to see for decades that's just how it is my favorite one that I've ever seen, and I'm pretty sure I talked about it here before, um, was a 3D image. You wore these, like, they were just frames of glasses. You didn't need the glasses. You just needed to wear the frames because the projector had to be next to your eye, and it projected it onto a retro-reflective mat. So it, it, if you know what retro-reflective material is, it, it shines light directly back at where it came from. So it made these 3D images appear in front of you that you could almost interact with. They had a they had a controller that would sense where you were and you could interact with them with that, but it really made things pop to life. Some friends of mine were selling these um you know interactive glasses back in the 90s, right? And they they didn't work very well and they had to be adjusted to a particular they it was the tech was so immature, it really was a, a scam that they were selling it at that point. But it, it 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 was real. It did exist. So a lot of this stuff is not new. You know, a lot of this stuff is not new. It just has never been matured, uh, I guess, you know, at least for the commercial end. So there's stuff out there. So these retinals, if they're real, that's amazing. I, I, I won't get them. I don't like the idea of sticking stuff on my eyes. But I think that's amazing. And I thought I'd bring it up because, of course, you know, in Star Drifter, Ejok uses a technology like that. I mean, I already wear contacts, so if these are or become real, I, I would at least be interested in checking them out. Well, the one thing I found interesting is that they don't like the idea of having to manipulate virtual, um, uh, you know, interactive things like like virtual buttons that you move your hands and depress and sliders and things like that. They want the eye itself to be able to control these things, which is an interesting approach. I would love to see if they get that working. I don't 
No, I never tried Google Glass. Um, I guess it had its upsides and its downsides. But they've tried making heads-up displays in several motorcycle helmets so far. And the problem with every one of them, except for one, one was never going to come to market. It was just, they, it was a business problem. They just wasted all the money. Um, but the problem with the rest of them is they always try to do too much with them. And I wonder if they'll do the same thing here. Like, ooh, we, look what we can do. So now we must. It's possible. It's possible. I would hope that they they want to crawl before they try to walk and certainly walk before they try to run. Um, take it slow and steady. And I would hope that they would try to find a large test base before they, they bring it to market. You know, a lot of people trying it out to try to find all the problems with it. But, I mean, you know, you know if it's nonsense and it's never going to work, that's one thing. But imagine, imagine if it works. You know, that would be incredible. They got to open source the, the software and the applications. They're never going to do it. Yeah, There's too much money in it. They're never going to do that. However. Then it'll never be the, any good. If these are real, someone will do an open source version at some point. To me, the reason that I think that like this is a thing that probably already exists and like the military would have application. Like, have you seen the HUD in the F-35 helmets? Like it's a little insane. bit, yeah. It's literally like you live in your vision becomes like you are the plane. It's crazy, and it's all just yeah, being projected that, in yeah, front of them. Yeah, HUDs are you know you can have well a HUD could be anything. It could be your entire display, and you can interact with anything if you wanted to. Um, the reason they don't one of the reasons one of the reasons, and I think Pokey Pokey definitely touched it. One of the reasons they don't work super well on ground-based things, especially if you're if if you expect them to give you information while you're driving about the driving environment, is that um, traveling at speed at ground level is way more difficult than in the air, simply because there's way more things to run into down here. Um, it's very very complicated, and all that stuff is moving at the same. It's you know it's the same problem they're having with um you know self-driving vehicles it's it's why it's taken a lot longer than people were hoping it would um it's not taking any longer than i thought it would take but a lot of people thought that this would be here you know years ago um and it's just it's really 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 hard to control and give that kind of the the right information you need when you need it um you know through a through a hud or anything like that but the the ability to 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 project the HUD and make it interactive, that's been around a long time. And that does it, that does come directly from the military. Yeah, the the heads-up display in the Apache helicopters, it's all head tracking. They they see through the gun's eye and the gun tracks their head. They just have to turn and look. Yeah, so with these retinals, that's what I keep calling them. That's not what they call them. Um, the way you interact with that is a menu will appear in front of you and you look at the thing that you want to click on as it were and you just hold your eye there for a set amount of time and that's the thing that gets selected um you know and there are ways to turn it on and off and to you know bring it up and bring it down um so that you can yeah you know, their their concept right now is that it's not something you use all day long it's something you turn on when you need it and turn it off um, you know, the batteries 
as you can imagine, don't have all day capacity. They can't last that long, but they can last for a total of like, I think they said four hours. And, you know, that would allow you to, you know, you're walking down the street and it's like, oh man, what was the name of that place? I made a note about it. And then you look and that thing pops up and it's like, oh, that's what it was called. It's down the street here. I think that's the use case they, they think it's going to fill. But I suspect uh, people would come up with more creative uses. Yeah, I feel like if that was the only thing it could do, it would not be worth buying and putting in my eye when I can take my phone out and look at that. Exactly. It's got to do, do something more than that. Yeah, and I think that was a point they also made. This is not something meant to um, necessarily take the place of tech that already exists. It's supposed to allow you that bit of of freedom you know the ability to um access your information when you need it exactly at the you know in the way that you need it you know so that you know maybe your hands are full maybe you've got boxes in your hands and you need that information this type of thing would step in at that point otherwise you don't need it you know um, I'd, I would honestly be more interested in like a HUD style augmented reality thing where they say, what it, where what it could provide me is additional contextual information about the thing I'm currently looking at. Apparently they can't do it now, but that's on the roadmap. So or whatever that's worth. And again, I don't know if it's real. You know, it looks impressive, but a lot of things do. You know, the guy that was um they're interviewing them he couldn't wear the thing they had like this harness that goes over his head so that he could look through it and see some of this stuff but he couldn't actually wear it um you know obviously because they the sanitary and everything else they, and apparently they have to be adjusted to the users specifically so that's also a, a barrier but maybe not much of one i mean your your um you know your prescription lenses already have to be to an extent I don't know. Anyway, I just wanted to bring it up. I'm glad you brought up that one and not the other one you had on your list. Because when I opened that website, everybody's audio got very choppy. It's very, very heavy uh, JavaScript on that page. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... I don't trust it. I just wanted to bring that up. But that it was, it was only if we we're going to have a big, long discussion, especially with Taj, about automated... Um, you know, automated video and edit, uh, audio editing. And these people think that they fixed it, but it's, yeah, it's really, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to call bullshit. I don't know if it's bullshit, but I don't think it's an answer that I, you know, to any questions I might have. I looked at it. I was not convinced slash impressed. I was like, um, okay, boss. Well, I actually, I looked, they have a, a demo that you can play with. And I looked through that and it's like, you know what? This isn't substantially easier than you know the my process right now, unless you go to the crazy you know, extent that I do, you know, with editing audio uh, that gets you injured. You know, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not willing to hurt yourself, it's not a it's not a tremendous improvement. You know, I think where they think this tool will help is that people can do it using text as opposed to i i don't know it's it it didn't seem easier to me i don't think i don't know what what problem they feel they're they're actually um fixing but it i don't know it felt like it was as much work to prepare this thing to work than 
doing a traditional thing with a mouse and a an audio interface. But anyway, editor, I should say. Anyway, those were my topics. Hey, Lyle. John. Did you get a chance to listen to the album of the month? I did finally, yesterday, while doing some nonsense. Was listening to the album nonsense, or was the other thing you were doing nonsense? The other thing. It was the soundtrack to my nonsense. Ah. May, may I have 30 seconds to describe my nonsense before we do the album of the month? Yes. Uh, so we have a process to generate internal uh, SSL certificates. And we have a template that we feed into OpenSSL to generate the CSRs to become certificates. And to do that, you drop this template in and you fill out like four fields. But that's four too many and I'm lazy. So I wrote a... And because I just wanted to learn something new, I wrote a, a, a Vim script that actually will pull all that information right from the system itself. So y'all, Vim script is weird, but kind of cool. Yeah, but it requires Vim, right? Yes, but so do I. Oh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> By the way, I just want to mention while we're sitting here, um, Lyle, I'm so glad you're back on Mastodon so I control you with Emacs and Vim things. Carry well, I mean, I mean, if there was ever a reason to come back some, to somewhere, it's to be trolled. Yes, lovingly. Oh, yes. Sorry, carry on with Album of the Month. That Album of the Month, though. It was yours, Tosh. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. Um, so we did uh, M. Du Mokhtar, uh, Afrique Victim. Uh, what'd you guys think? I listened to the first song and already forgot it. <laughs> I expected about that. I listened to the whole thing while I was writing this code stuff. And then it stopped playing. and I'm like, wait, it's over. I, I didn't even really notice the song changes. So it was the perfect thing to get me into the zone. The only problem was it ended, and then I suddenly was broken out of the zone. The zone ended. It wasn't nearly as bad as I was expecting. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to keep that in mind. I, I thought it was going to be painful. I thought it was going to be torture. Just from the name of it, Afrique Victim, like I, I'm not a fan of victimhood. I don't think it's healthy for people to, to, to uh, embrace victimhood. Um, maybe if I understood the words, I would, I would dislike it as much as I expected to, but I, I wait, didn't. there were words. I, I don't, I legitimately did not register that there were even words. I thought there was some, I listened to it when we were supposed to. So I don't remember it now. I didn't listen to it again. Uh, sorry, but I, I thought there were words, weren't there, Tosh? Y yes, there are words. Um, you know, and I, and I, I might've disliked it as much as I expected to, if, if the words were, uh, you know, in, in line with that title, but I didn't hear them. I thought the, the beats were nice. The, the music was interesting. I'll probably actually listen to it again sometime. Um, it, it, I didn't just, I, I really expected to dislike it. It was, it was, uh, uh, much better than I thought it would be. Challenge accepted. Oh, geez. Maybe, maybe my, uh, album of the month choices are just going to be like, how much can I make pokey hate a thing? Oh, why would you do that to me? Because I picked I your favorite thing. So now it's like the yin and the yang. Yeah, I guess. No, you know what? No, I, to this day, I think Lost in Bronx picked my favorite thing. Oh, well, then he gets to pick things you hate. Music sucks. I don't know why you guys do a, an album of the month. I really don't. <laughs> but you, you know, but you think you think almost all music sucks, though. Well, yeah, I'm the wrong person to ask. I'm the first to say that. But 
you know, my name was mentioned and I just put in my two cents. Yeah. And you picked Dr. Steele and it was great. And I loved it. And, you know, when we, when we started the album of the month thing, Taj thought pretty similarly to you and we changed his mind. Taj is a musician. He never thought like me. Trust me. He's never thought like me. Oh no. He thinks all music sucks, but he can articulate why. He it, thinks music, most music sucks because it does, right? I think pretty much all music sucks because it does. But it's it sounds like it's on the same plane. But the fact is, he, yes, he knows why things suck. I just think they suck because they're in my head and I don't like that. You know, I don't like, I like music that I don't have to actually listen to. I just put it in the background and it's noise to take up you know, to block out everything else. But if oh, I have you're... to pay attention to it, if it's something I have to pay attention, especially if it's got lyrics, you know, somebody's poetry is ramming in my ear all fucking day. No, 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 I don't need that. You're going to love my pick. Let's hear it. So my pick is I don't typically like soundtracks. This is a soundtrack. I don't typically like video game music. This is a video game music. It is video game soundtrack to a game. I had no idea that's what it was when I bought it um, because it's from my very favorite electronic artist, uh, Professor Click. The album is Spider Heck OST. I believe it's OST. And the game it's a soundtrack to is Spider Heck. So give me a brief moment and I'll, I will paste in a link to the album on Bandcamp and a link to a preview of the game if you want to see it. And it looks like a bitchin' game. It's It's like a battle royale of spiders with lightsabers it's it's friggin' cool this looks fucking sick pokey this this sounds like it was designed exactly for me that, that's kind of why i picked it i i i thought you'd might be into it I, I figured you'd I, try I the actually, game i love video game soundtracks and i love professor click you know this is like the third early christmas present i've gotten thank you pokey you're very welcome I mean, just look at a preview of the gameplay. It is unfriggin' real. The album cover makes it look like it's just a duel, like with a single platform. But no, these are spiders. They go upside down. They go up the walls. There's multiple platforms. The, the, it's Yeah, it's cool. This I might try to find a way to play this game because it looks like it might have the same sort of, sort of play speed um, that... Bomberman 64 had and that was that was great that was just my speed it, it probably doesn't but you know I might try to find a way to try this game <laughs> it's cool they're swinging around on spider webs and cutting each other's webs with their lightsabers one's got a magic bow shooting laser arrows like on the old Dungeons and Dragons game and uh, I mean TV show in the 80s this game looks absurd <laughs> doesn't it I don't know. It, it it looks like somebody took, um, like Smash Brothers, is like, hey, what if we made the physics extra silly and everything was neon spiders? Yeah. Oh, and of, and of course, look at my laser Thor. I'm not sure what OST stands for. I'm I'm assuming the ST is soundtrack, but I don't know what the O is. I, I can't. I'm assuming it it's out. original soundtrack. Oh, that's probably yeah. That's a good guess. We should try to get. Professor Click on the show for an interview. You're the one that's good at securing interviews. Oh, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. 
Well, this is all really good, but uh, I am wondering what the hell has Lyle done to his hair now? <laughs> Gotten rid of it. Pixar, it didn't happen. Did you really? He sent you a picture. I was going to say, Pokey, I sent you a picture. You did? Hold did on, I get it? <laughs> Hold on, Lost in Bronx. I will also send you a picture. Okay. And then, dear listener, I will also include some in the show notes. I hope. Yeah, I may have a segue here um, about Signal, by the way. Did I comment on the picture? Oh, yeah. Yes, okay, you I did. Get that. Wow, that was so long ago. I forgot all about it. Oh, you look good, man. Yeah, I, I definitely dig the no hair and the much shorter beard. Oh, that's fabulous. You look great. Uh, I'll just, I'm going to include this picture in the show notes. Uh, my family did a Adams family for Halloween, and that, that was my take on Gomez Adams. Hey, that's three of us just gave you a thumbs up, Lyle. Oh, that was, yeah. Nicely done. That's a fabulous look. You, wow. I'm shocked. And, and not many men can rock an ascot. I'm just putting it out there. But you pulled it off beautifully. Well, I absolutely despise, like, the standard straight necktie. And so for a long time, it was bow ties. And then I'm like, no, let's go one better and do ascots because nobody wears an ascot. Nobody wears one and doesn't look like a douche usually. But my lord, it looks natural on you. I mean, that either means I look good or I just <laughs> naturally look like a douche. That's what I was going to say. I'm not sure what the logic of that is supposed to mean, but. I know. I do, Taj, that you were picking the same thing up. And so I figured I'd get ahead of it. I would have recommended black slacks. But other than that, yeah, that. that picture kicks ass yeah it's a great photo but you this is a wonderful look but you, this is a look for life this is something you should really think about keeping while I, that I, photo should be your next tattoo now i'm like, not getting a picture of me tattooed on me oh yeah steve-o <laughs> style totally right on your back that's recursion and i'm a, for it i am not getting a back piece of myself no Lyle you're getting Zepson. a back piece of yourself Getting a back piece of yourself. Getting a back piece of yourself. Lyle Seption. That's what I'm saying. It's all no, I, Lyle's I all the have, way down. I already have a plan for my next tattoo. I mean, isn't that always you? Like, always have the plan for the next one? Yes. I, I may have a note somewhere with just a whole list of ideas. But while I was getting the death tattoo, I was talking with the artist. Because we had time. And she really liked the idea and was picking up what I was putting down. So... I think I know what my next one's going to be. So I don't usually like to insist on topics, but um, my last two before anybody, you know, does the thing, I, I really, I need to talk about one and I'd really like to talk about the other. Do it. All right. So the one I need to talk about um, is Messenger. I, I won't be using Messenger much longer. I, I'll let you guys know that because we communicate on there all the time. Um, but they are dropping text support that's strike number one i really don't feel like having two text messaging apps depending on who i'm talking to um the strike number two is i've started getting a lot of spam through messenger and there's no way to block it uh, whereas before when i was just using a regular text messenger i could just block somebody or, or block a, a number and i'm getting repeated spams from the same numbers and all i can do is mute them which just means i don't get a notification but it still shows up uh, and I'm not happy about that. And strike number three for Messenger is it has started um, 
confirming delivery of messages that never were delivered on the other end. So it's it's that strike three. So when it, as soon as they drop uh, support for text messaging, I will be dropping Messenger. But I may even do do it sooner, just because I've been so annoyed by the spam I'm getting lately. Bogey, you've said Messenger every time there. Are you talking about Signal? <laughs> yeah, Signal. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's what I was I was fixing the show notes. Appreciate that. It's got me so mad. I don't even know its name. Uh, y- yes, Taj. We're going to leave it in like that. <laughs> That's fine. I earned it. Well, at least it's not Metamouse. <laughs> I mean, we have that too. True. I'll be honest. Like Signal, uh, every move they've made in the last six months, I dislike. And I, I was seriously considering getting rid of it because literally the only people I talk to on Signal are you guys. But then uh, one of my martial arts groups decided to move everything to Signal. So I'm kind of stuck there. Yeah, I've always been a little leery of it anyway. Um, I mean, it was cool at first. Like, oh, yeah, great. This is encrypted. I like it. But then all of the three-letter agencies started recommending it. And and that makes me wonder a little. I think it's legit. I just think that it's – they're trying real hard to make it like look like other things which i don't like i just liked when it was what it was and the insistence that it has to be exactly what moxie marlin spike wants and that he just refuses to let it be anything that he doesn't control worries me pardon my ignorance but what exactly is it it's just like encrypted text messaging or at least that's what it originally was now it's like you can do stories and video chat and do all sorts of stuff and it's just a messaging system what are stories in this context like little video clips like with the kids the ticky tackies like the kids like oh uh, well okay that's weird that he would segue to that i assume making money well, ba- basically every everything has those now and they so they probably feel like they quote unquote have to yet they're going to drop support for unencrypted text messages see the other thing it does lost in bronx is it replaces your regular text messenger messenger it sort of intercepts that you just tell um android that you know my my default text application is signal and it takes care of that too but their recent announcement is that every time you open it now it tells you hey we're dropping support for text any day now i haven't used it for text i haven't i haven't used it for text in a while because i had a weird experience with it and i don't even remember exactly what it was but all text, it, it, or, or is it dropping just the unencrypted text? It, it is dropping support to be an SMS replacement app. So instead of it can also be your your SMS app, it is only going to be Signal messages. Oh, so you're so now you have to have Signal and SMS on top of it. Correct. Okay. Which now I'm up I, to speed. I already do, which I already do. But when they said that they were going to stop, I I went ahead and separated it, and I started using another SMS program. And frankly, I'm, I'm happier than I did that. <laughs> the reason they're getting rid of it is because, uh, again, they insist that everything has to go through their server. Um, and so that means everybody's SMSs were going through their server and they're trying to like stop that. Or at least that's my understanding. I'll tell you one big upside for me for not using uh, Signal in for using an unencrypted text messenger is that uh, find my phone should work again. Well, Pokey, you can find me on Mattermost. 
Roger that. I'll be honest. Most of my like friends that I would have talked to Signal in the past, they're all on Matrix now. So I just use Matrix. Where a steak tastes like a steak. All right. And then the other thing that I wanted to talk about um, is my F-Droid Spotlight. Just because I love F-Droid Spotlights. I love finding cool stuff in F-Droid. And I found something really cool in F-Droid. Go on. I was looking for a notebook app that would be a little um, a little more sort of focused, a little more granular for tasting my pipe tobaccos and for, for sorting those out. Because you can, I'll tell you, you can have a very different experience with the same pipe tobacco in two different pipes or just stuff like that. Very different combinations um, it can turn out differently. And if you smoke it a little too fast, it'll, it'll turn out differently. It's, it's just, it's interesting. And, and I thought I needed something a little more specific. And I went looking in F-Droid and all I found was this flavor Dex flavor tasting journal. It looked more like a wine and beer tasting thing. Um, so I like wine and I don't take enough notes when I, when I drink wine. So I, I installed it, not even thinking anything about it. And then um, I went over to the Google Play Store and I found something on pipe tobacco. I found a pipe tobacco notebook and the thing's broken. It, it's, it's got some stuff in it already and you can sort of select it. And that's all you can really do. You can't take notes, which I thought was broken for a notebook app. You can't. There's a bunch of stuff you can't do. And I texted the um, or I met, emailed the developer and I just got back like an auto reply, like your message doesn't exist or whatever. So I don't I think it's been abandoned. I think it was abandoned in like 2016. And I was trying to use it for, you know, what it could do. And I just finally said, screw it. And I went and had a look at Flavor Decks for a wine that I had found and the way that it's set up is really, really nice for wine and beers. And I didn't know it at the time, but it lets you add categories. I was able to add pipe tobacco and I was able to add some, some sensible defaults to it. And it's actually a really nice journal for tasting for, for things that have flavor. Um, it's, it's a good way to, to track them and keep notes. So Way to go, F-Droid, yet again, and way to go, Flavor Dex Tasting Journal. That look really cool. Tell me, do you guys have or know of a step-by-step, um, a method to get F-Droid on my phone? Because I've looked, and I haven't found any simplified systems or ways to do that. Um, the it last thing I saw, uh, well... The last thing I saw about my phone is that I would have to open it up and jump, you know, solder in a jump uh, between a couple of leads. And it, it just, you know, I'm not going to do that. So what phone do you have? I don't know. I don't even have it in front of me, but it's a it. I don't have a regular phone like you guys do, but it's a it's an Android. Yeah. Open Firefox. Go to froy.com and click install the APK. And all you have to do in Android is allow installations from other applications than play and you allow it from firefox that one time and then you turn that permission back off and then you just cruise through f-droid and the first time you so go to you don't have to root your phone at all no nope. not at all no it's, it's a stock okay. permission in android in every android phone i've ever had it's just a stock permission all right i'll take another look at it i i do it through firefox i install firefox on my phones 
instead of uh, Chrome, but I'm sure you could do it in Chrome as well. I use um, DuckDuckGo's browser. I'm sure it works in that too. I'd, I'd be stunned it if it didn't. Yeah, it should. Yeah, it should. And know. if it doesn't, just install it. Firefox from the Play Store and try it that way. But I'd be stunned if it didn't install from DuckDuckGo. Well, I'll get back to you on it. Yeah, please. I do. just, yeah, I can't afford to brick my phone. I just can't. No, I understand that as well. I just, yeah, when I get a new phone, I uninstall everything I possibly can. I keep as, as I usually wind up breaking my phone once or twice before I, I find the things that you can't uninstall. Um, and, and I go with as much F-Droid stuff as I can. Anytime I, I need a new function, I'll try F-Droid first. And this time, it, I mean, this thing's, this app is killer. I love it. It sounds fun. Sounds good. Yeah, by default, the categories are beer, coffee, whiskey, and wine, if that tells you anything. Uh, I think it tells me that maybe this is the end? Sure tastes like it to me.